This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Carlson, Carlson, världens bästa Carlson. Carlson, Carlson, hoj här kommer Carlson. Carlson, Carlson, ingen faktiskt, ingen annan Carlson vill jag så bra som mig. Carlson, Carlson, Carlson scores! Carlson, Carlson, världens bästa Carlson. We are presented by DauberHockey.com, which is the best fantasy hockey website out there. And my co-host is the forecasting fanatic, the rotisserie robot, the poobah of prognostication, Brightcom. Hello, Elon. Hello, everyone. I'm not used to getting second billing behind our presenters, Dauber Hockey, but you know what? I'm not mad. Dabra Hockey is amazing. I was just reading through their 21 Fantasy Thoughts, which is like a weekly uh, collection of some of their most interesting or best rambles of the week. There's some really good stuff in there, and a lot of it I actually already had written down for the show uh, from my own research, and some of it I augmented with stuff I learned from the 21 Fantasy Hockey Thoughts at DabraHockey.com for your daily ramblings and your weekly thoughts and... Also, I, I think it might be fun, Elon, for an ongoing thing on tonight's show. Uh, Taylor Hall, not yet traded. Let's see what happens over the course of this podcast. Okay, it's 8.07 p.m. right now. Dauber hockey is great. But you know what, Brian? They do their 21 thoughts, and I felt like, you know what, guys? I think we could do even better. It's actually a contest. It's, you know, we're, we're friends, but we're also rivalries. <laughs> They're doing 21 thoughts. We're going to do 31 thoughts because we're going to do our uh, I don't know, biannual, we do it every once in a while, one take per team. We're going to go through all 31 teams and give at least one take for every team in the league. I feel like with the, the holidays coming, it feels like a good time to just reassess, you know, take a bird's eye view look at everything that's gone on so far, what's happening moving forward for every team, especially because there's some teams. Brian, I've started to think about it. I feel like we don't talk about teams like the LA Kings, like the Columbus Blue Jackets, like as much as some of the other teams. And I think it's because their beat writers don't tweet out line combinations as often. Like I've been running this at Game Day Lines Twitter account where I'm tweeting out line combinations and a lot of the content for the show I see, ooh, the Islanders have new lines. I'm going to put that down in my notes for the show. I never see the Kings lines because their beat writer is not tweeting it out. So, you know, if you're a Kings fan, blame your uh, beat writer for not tweeting out lines. We're going to get to the Kings and all the teams today. I am very excited and we've got a lot to get to. 
Let's do it! Okay, so also, Brian, when we did the Almanac, you complained that the Winnipeg Jets always get the worst of billing because they're the alphabetically last team in the league, and we always talk about them last in everything we do. So I decided, Brian, how about this? Reverse alphabetical order. So the first team I want to go to is the Winnipeg Jets, who are just coming off a great game this afternoon. This is Sunday. They just beat Philadelphia 7-3, to so a complete shellacking. This team is doing great. Everything seems pretty much back to normal fantasy-wise in Jetsland. Like, Blake Wheeler had a goal and two assists today versus Philly. That brings him to 16 points in his last 13 games. So everyone who bought low on him when they had the chance, when he had a slow start to the year, they are super happy now. Wheeler's still centering that second line with Ehlers and Roslovich. Uh, Ehlers on his typical, like, 60-point pace. Roslovich, his typical not-relevant status. So nothing really new there. The top line of Shifley, Connor, Line, all hovering around a point per game. They're all good. Uh, and then on D, it's been Neil Pionk holding the top power play spot over Josh Morrissey for the last like nine games or so and with three assists today for Pionk including two on the power play he's up to one goal and seven assists in those last nine games Morrissey has five points in that span Brian Morrissey right now is on a 50 point pace on the season but it's going down lately now that he's off the top power play Pionk on a 45 point pace it's trending up lately who interests you the most moving forward like at the start of the year everyone was super excited about Morrissey we thought it was going to be his job especially once the news came out that Bufflin wasn't going to be playing now is it just Pionk because he's on the top power play? Would you be panicking as a Morrissey owner? Like, what's your take right now on the Winnipeg D? My take right now on the Winnipeg defense is that Pionk is probably the one you want to own because he's on the top power play. There's been a pretty steady trend since the start of the season where Josh Morrissey has lost power play time. It's been a very steady curve if you can follow it. You can see Morrissey's time dropping, 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 and at the exact same time, of course, Pionk's is rising, 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 and that's where we stand right now. And and I don't know if or when it'll change, uh, but I'm not about to predict a change. So I'm going to go with Pionk as being the guy you want to own. The argument for wanting Josh Morrissey instead would be that even though he's not on a top power play, he can still manage, say, a 40-point pace. And we don't know if that would be true for Pionk if and when he does get rotated out of that top power play spot. So I feel like Morrissey's floor is higher, but of course his upside is lower because he's not the guy on the top unit. Also keep in mind, Neil Pionk shoots more, uh, so he's my pick for right now because he's on the top power play. Like I will take that, you know, five or seven point hit or whatever if he does end up reaching his floor or downside for the last two months of the season. Uh, I think he's worth rostering now on the assumption that he's just going to be on the top power play. By the way, Elon, you just so casually mentioned how Shifley, Connor, Patrick Line all hovering around a point per game. But like, can we just rewind to that for a moment? Because it's not such a casual thing to be talking about that Patrick Line He's around a point per game. I feel like we've only ever talked about him in a negative way. The poor guy only gets our attention when he's in the deepest, darkest throes of unfulfilled expectations. And I guess that means it's a good thing that we've barely said Patrick Liney's name this year um, because he's on pace for a career high in points, seeing almost 20 minutes of ice a night. This is a deployment bump. We've been waiting two years to see, and it's finally here. And we're just quiet about it. We're just like, oh, yeah. He's doing what he should be doing. Nine goals, 21 assists for 30 points in 30 games. I was heading into uh, today's big 
effort against Philadelphia, so you can update those numbers as needed. He had 90 shots on goal, 7 power play points, and this bounce back is thanks entirely to a rebound in both Liney's IPP and on-ice shooting percentages at 5-on-5, which have translated to Liney being just 8 assists away from setting a new career high. That's all he needs, 8 assists over 52 games, and Patrick Liney will have set a new career high. Of course, uh, Liney owners aren't looking for career highs and assists from him. Uh, they're looking for goals. And if you were looking for goals from Liney, you still might be disappointed. Only nine on the year. And I think the jury's still out on whether Liney can reclaim that elite scoring form that had him scoring a goal every other game in his first two seasons in the NHL. Since the start of last season, though, Liney's shooting percentage hasn't reached anywhere near where it had been in his first 150 games. And now we're in this weird spot where we're seeing Liney performing as a roughly average shooter uh, for almost as long as he had been an elite shooter. It almost reminds me of, like, uh, for lack of a better comparison, in Anders Lee situation where he had a couple years good, a couple years bad, or Vincent Trocek, these guys who were just not sure what kind of shooters they are because they haven't done the same thing for two or three years in a row yet, and they keep just swinging back and forth. Uh, but thank goodness to balance off that drop in line shooting percentage that he's getting almost two and a half minutes more of five on five ice time per game to continue his pretty good shot rates pick up points. So uh, just uh, wanted to mention Patrick Liney's name in a positive light. Welcome back to high-end fancy relevance. Patrick Liney, uh, if you're owning him in the goals league, though, we're still waiting to see if that element of his game will bounce back. But hey, let's not be too choosy. Let's just be happy. Yeah, after last year's scary stretch with Lina, you're just happy to see him getting points, whether it's a goal or an assist. Yes, Brian, you're right. I guess sometimes these players, the super high-end guys, there's not a reason to talk about them. Everyone owns them. Like, when we get to Pittsburgh, I'm gonna be like, yeah, Gensel's doing great. Let's talk about Brian Rust, holy cow! But, like, Gensel's doing just as well, but everyone knew, knew that that was gonna happen. Uh, and yeah, Patrick Lina, we're very happy that he's good, and I definitely feel bad over the summer. I should have had more faith in him. Clearly, he's a good player. He went through a rough stretch. You said he had a low IPP, all of that. All better now. Good job, Patrick. And you say Josh Morrissey, you'd rather have Pionk. Uh, yeah, Morrissey, I was, I'm also curious just in general and maybe shallower leagues. It's time to consider dropping him. I guess he had a point today, so you can hold off. But I don't know how much value he has to you in a non-keeper league where he's not on the top power play. So if you have Morrissey, maybe tweet at us at Keeping Carlson. You might have a better option out there. Maybe you'll hear a better option on the show. Uh, let's go now to the Washington Capitals. A couple weeks ago, I had a matchup in the Keeping Carlson Ultimate Patron Fantasy League Tier 1 of the Cacupful against Fantasy Hockey Life's Jesse Severe. And one storyline that I thought would be a lot of fun during the week is I had John Carlson and he had Alex Ovechkin. So I thought, ooh, it'll be our caps going against each other. But in the end, the Ovi-Carlson matchup was a huge blowout. Ovi went pointless in the three games he played, while John Carlson had three goals and three assists. So I was very lucky that week. I assume this was just a blip for Ovi, especially he popped a goal and an assist versus Columbus this past Monday. But since then, another other two pointless games for Alex the Great. So now that's only one of his last six games where he's pointed. Still, Ovechkin's at 33 points in 34 games on the season, but, you know, he's starting to slip a bit. He's now fallen below point per game when he was above it pretty much all season. Anything to be concerned about here? Or is this just a weird two-week stretch that's unlikely to happen again for the rest of the season? Can the answer be both? That something, uh, like, everything is fine, but something also might be wrong? Uh, Let's summarize what I'm seeing here to get me to that very middling and unsatisfying conclusion and see if we can really lean one way or the other. Ovechkin has just one goal on his last 21 shots over his last six games, which means that he's converting at about a third of the rate we're used to seeing him at. So on that end, uh, just a bad shooting percentage, no big deal. Uh, But then you look and you say, okay, six games, 21 shots for Alex Ovechkin, 
And you step back and you see, wait a second, Alex Ovechkin has 156 shots on the air, which is bonkers, right? He'd been averaging just shy of five shots per game. So suddenly, in the six-game run, Ovi having like three shots and a little bit more than that per game doesn't sound so good. And that's why in these last six games, Ovechkin has turned in four of his 10 worst expected goals performances of the season. This recent stretch also saw Ovechkin, which is with his first zero shot game of the year. It's just the fifth time since the beginning of 2017-18 that that's happened to Ovechkin. And some of those games, I remember there were like two or three in a row where he was definitely injured, right? Like it was just a, a coincidence. So I don't know what to think about Ovechkin now suddenly uh, tapering off in his shooting and threat. I, ha- I have some mild concerns, and I wonder if maybe he's working through a light injury. It would be weird for Ovechkin to just suddenly stop being as good as he had been uh, for the first 28 games in game 29. And that's like, that's the drop off that, that it happened overnight. No way. Right, So I'm going to keep an eye on Ovechkin's shot totals to see if they can correct within the next week or two. If they don't, then either Ovechkin is injured or he has lost something that he had in the first 28 games of the year. Obviously, I'm leaning towards the former being an explanation. If the Caps get a few days off around Christmas or the New Year, maybe that will bode well for Ovechkin. Because uh, I am a little concerned. He doesn't look like himself. Uh, I mean... I'm not actually that concerned. Like, yeah, I get what you're saying, that his shots are a little lower lately. Also, the Capitals have won eight of their last nine games, so perhaps he's just, like, taking it easy right now. You know, John Carlson's clearly carrying the load and on, like, a 120-plus point pace, so why does Ovi have to work so hard? And I'm sure, you know, when the time comes, he'll be ready. I hope. If I was an Ovechkin owner, I wouldn't be worried. If you could buy low somehow, I'm sure you can't, but now maybe would be a good time if someone's nervous. But yeah, obviously watch those shots on goal. If we're, we're like, you know, 20 games later and he's still only getting three shots per game, then we got something to talk about for sure. So definitely something good to bring up Brian okay let's go to Vegas now who is playing today I guess they haven't started yet they're gonna be oh no they have they've started against Vancouver uh it's 1-1 right now the game just started uh anyway so Vegas and Washington made what seemed like a minor trade back on December 2nd Vegas acquired Chandler Stevenson for a fifth round pick apparently Washington was forced to make the trade for cap reasons when Carl Hagelin was activated from the IR but then, lo and behold, Cody Glass went down with an upper body injury. And then, like I predicted on last week's show, ice-cold Paul Stasny got bumped from the Patches stone line to take over for Glass on the third line. So now, welcome to the new Line 2 center on Vegas, Chandler Stevenson? Who? What? And believe it or not, this guy's producing. He had an assist at St. Louis on Thursday. He scored a goal at Dallas on Friday. Like I said, they're playing today. Let's see here. So Vegas has scored a goal. Nick Holden by Paul Stasny. So there you go. How can you predict this stuff? Obviously. Uh, Anyway, yeah. What do you think about Chandler Stevenson? As long as he's centering the second line, is he someone you're interested in? Or do you just, like, ignore him? Because, again, he is Chandler Stevenson, former fourth liner on the Washington Capitals. So how much can you really expect him to produce? I'm leaning towards the latter. And and for anyone who doesn't know who Chandler Stevenson is, he's 25 years old, third round pick of the Capitals back in 2012. And while he was with Washington, he had that rare turn of good deployment when he was a full-time NHLer over the last couple seasons. And we did bring him up a couple times over the last couple years when that happened, but it was never something that sustained. He was pretty much a bottom six, 12-minute-a-night guy as a capital. Now in Vegas, Stevenson is getting almost 15 minutes a night with two primo players in Stone and Pacioretty, who I could probably pick up a point with if I were their centerman. Uh, Stevenson has hasn't been a I think I could they're not that great like they're good like, you love Mark Stone a lot more than he deserves I think you, that's a separate conversation you know what I'd do I'd stand at the blue line 
and just like let someone pass it to me and I'd just like tip it a little forward with my stick so everyone like I could be the guy who helps everyone stay on side like okay. move the puck into the zone it's a good strategy Chandler Stevenson yeah so Pat Stone would pass it to me to do that and then I just tip it ahead and Pacioretty would rush up grab it and uh, and score on his first try every single time okay so let's get back to this uh so what are you saying here you don't like Chandler Stevenson <laughs> Uh, well, you know, he's just never been a scorer since leaving the Western Hockey League in junior. So I wouldn't expect him to become one. But I do think he can be that guy tipping pucks across the blue line, uh, picking up some points by osmosis for as long as he's the second line centerman. Uh, just, of course, he stinks if he doesn't get you any points, right? This guy has only taken more than one shot on goal in a single game once in his last 20 outings across Vegas and Washington. So lots of zeros and ones. He's not going to do a whole lot for you. Uh, but I added him as a depth guy to help just boost my numbers this week because Vegas had a good schedule and it uh, paid off. Yeah, so I guess you knew what you were doing. I kind of mocked you, but I guess you had the last laugh. And obviously now you'll let him go because Vegas' schedule isn't as good next week. So I guess a name to know if he's going to be on that second line. We'll see how long it lasts. Hopefully Cody Glass will be fine soon. Uh, and then since I just traded for him, maybe we could do a quick check-in on Shea Theodore over on the Vegas blue line. He had two assists in that 3-2 overtime win over Dallas on Friday. But before that was pointless in eight games, right now Theodore has just a 33-point pace on the season going into today. Like, why doesn't he produce more with his deployment it's baffling to me like he's like clefbaum from a few years ago and now clefbaum's finally producing pretty well i want that to happen for shay theodore he shoots like he gets top power play he gets lots of ice time i don't understand how he doesn't get any points he doesn't get points honestly by no fault of his own we had the same conversation about a month ago and you were really concerned and i was like don't worry shay theodore is doing all the right things uh we don't need to worry about what his production is going to be uh he's like everything looks good under the hood and that was after a lengthy uh scoring drought and then he went on a nice little run where he had uh, five points over six games and i was like okay he's on track and i actually put in a buy low offer just before uh in my in my cup full division just before that run started i was like oh i wish i had uh, like three more days to buy low on him before he went on this run because there's no going back. And now, of course, he is ice cold again until this two, again, uh, two assist game against Dallas recently. So I, I hope he's back off the schneid because there's no reason for Theodore to be in any trouble. Uh, like it's just a variance thing from what I'm seeing. Low IPP, low, low shooting percentage, low on ice shooting percentage. So, uh, you know, a buy low window closed once already on Shea Theodore. A buy-low window is about to close again if you don't go get in on him now. I, I heavily endorse you going out and acquiring Shea Theodore if you can. Okay, let's say you've got Josh Morrissey on your roster. Yeah. Shea Theodore's just been dropped in your league. You're making Boom. that swap? Doing it. Wow. Okay. I'm curious to see how that'll work out uh, rest of the season. Someone keep track of that for us. Do please. you want to bet? Like, is this a bet? Should I, I write know, it down I... on my random sticky note here? Sure. Uh, okay. Actually, no. Uh, I mean, I don't actually believe that Theodore can't. I feel like it could be close. I just think it'll be interesting to follow. But if you want to put it, if that's the only way we'll track it is to make a bet, then sure, put it down on your sticky note. Uh, and, and with that, let's go to the team that Vegas is playing tonight, the Vancouver Canucks, another team like Washington and Winnipeg, where the lines seem to be pretty stable. And for the most part, everyone is producing as expected. So there's like not too much to talk about. Like, yeah, uh, Elias Pedersen only has three points in his last seven games, but can't imagine that's a big concern. Josh Levo, Tanner 
Tanner Pearson continue to be great streams with their line two deployment alongside Bo Horvat. Uh, we're still waiting on the Edler injury, though I just saw that he might come back before Christmas, so maybe he'll give you another week or two of action before he gets injured again. But uh, hopefully not. Hopefully he'll be back and healthy. Uh, I'd say the main news right now in Vancouver is probably in net. Thatcher Demko sustained a concussion during practice on Wednesday. Uh, hashtag ban practice, as Average Time on Ice uh, tweets out. Uh, Michael DiPietro got called up. I thought maybe he'd see his first action of the season today on the second half of a back-to-back, but no, Jacob Markstrom is going again. And in the meantime, Jacob Markstrom, he's looking really good right now, or at least I think it's time to check in, right? Because he had that amazing start to the year. Then he seemed like he was going through a rough patch mid-November. It looked like maybe Demko would start seeing more action. But yeah, things seem to be back on track at the moment. Markstrom shut out the hurricane, stopping 43 shots on Thursday, then put in a good performance, stopping 23 of 25 yesterday versus San Jose. We'll see how he does today against Vegas. If we were to do Schmore goalies board right now, Brian, and by the way, as I was writing that, I was thinking, like, we should do that. That would be fun, a mid-season Schmore goalies board where we tier all the goalies so we could be wrong again about goalies, but at least with a little more data halfway through the season. Anyways, if we were to do it right now, what tier do you think we'd be putting Markstrom in? Like, what are you expecting from him for the rest of the season? It would be a fun exercise to tier goalies mid-season just to see how, like, we're using this season's data to do it and we'll still be completely wrong at the end of the year. It'd just be really great. We could even just see how we did a week later and, uh, you know, get the sense. Uh, just a good illustration of how unpredictable goalies are. But Jacob Markstrom specifically, at the start of the season, we considered him to be, you know, an at least average goalie with upside for better on a team in Vancouver that was ready to collect a few more wins. And honestly, I think we nailed it. We put him in tier four. Um, you know, he's a, and I think that's where he belongs still. Markstrom is mid pack in the league in both five on five save percentage and five on five goal saved above average per 60 minutes. You know, he's a little bit ahead of mid pack, actually. We should give him some credit for that. And then the team Vancouver is a few games above 500 with a positive goal differential, which is a different story than where they were this time last year. They were about a game under 500 with a negative goal differential. Uh, so Markstrom still reads like a tier three or tier four goalie to me. He has the upside for tier three, maybe even tier two, but probably still lives in tier four as a good goalie on an improving team. But we should also give Markstrom credit for being way above league average. Like tier three, tier four doesn't sound exciting, but he's carrying a 918 save percentage, which uh, does deserve some kudos. Easily beats out the league average so far this year of 910. Uh, Markstrom has also never been such a reliably good starting goalie. He's putting up a quality start in two out of every three starts that he gets. So what can I say? Uh, Markstrom's really good. He'll keep being good. I think we nailed it at the start of the season for Smart Goalies Board, and I'm hoping we can move him up for next year. And before you move on to the next team, I want to add one more player. But first, your response on Markstrom. Yeah, well, I think the interesting thing with him is I would have pointed out, yeah, and also he's on this Vancouver team, which has improved, so he's helping get you some wins. But actually, he, maybe it's just bad luck. He's played 21 games. I'm seeing only nine wins in those 21 games. He's outside of the top 20 in wins for goalies this season. And his 21 games is, like, not bad. It hasn't been, like, 50-50 with Demko. He's been getting a decent number of starts, and he doesn't uh, win games when he plays. So that's another reason to keep him in Tier 4 and not put him up until... Because in fantasy, unfortunately, or fortunately, however you want to look at it, wins is a big component of whether or not you're goalie is valuable to you so yeah there you go and by the way brian please go and say your player before we move on okay uh, my player is and before i do i just want to say uh, if anybody wants to do the work and tell us what kind of goal support markstrom has been getting that would have been a great thing to research before the show but that might explain why he has only nine wins despite being a very good goalie um 
I want to talk about Quinn Hughes. You know, we talked about Liney and how we don't talk about guys who, you know, are doing really well. I feel like we've talked so much about Kale McCarr, but we haven't talked about Quinn Hughes. In fact, you asked if we'd have a new record holder a couple episodes ago for most rookie points by a defenseman, and you put... Kale McCarr is the likely uh, guy to do it. Larry Murphy had 76 points for the Kings in 1980-81. But what about Quinn Hughes? Uh, Brian, I just got to interrupt you quickly. If you recall in that conversation, if you go back and listen to the episode, I did point out that Quinn Hughes will also probably break the record. Like, we did bring him up in that conversation. But anyway. Okay. But he shouldn't be like, for it sure. shouldn't be like he'll also break the record. Like, no rookie defensemen have produced like McCarr and Hughes have, have for like 25 years. And even then, it was guys like Lidstrom and Leach. And then you're looking 10 years before that even, in the 70s and 80s. Uh, Hughes, 25 points in 32 games, 14 power play points. These are like 2018 19 Keith Yandel numbers almost exactly uh he's on pace for like 35 power play points holy cow Quinn Hughes okay Brian very good he is good like again it's another of these players where I don't have much to say because I'm not going to be telling people hey hot take you should probably have Quinn Hughes in your fantasy league like we all know that no one's worried about Alex Edler coming back and bumping Hughes because even before Edler got injured Hughes was secured on that top power play so yeah he's really good but we do have like 25 teams still to go so i guess that's why i'm not also bringing up all the superstars in every team like i'm we're gonna go to toronto now and don't get mad i'm not planning on bringing up john Tavares or austin matthews i do want to mention that tyson barry hurt his ankle in the win over edmonton yesterday sheldon keith indicated after the game the x-rays came back negative which is good so he shouldn't be out too long but hey, in the meantime, maybe an opportunity for Morgan Riley to reassert himself on the top power play. And it's not like Barry has been doing much with it. Like he has no power play points and only one assist in his last eight games. Uh, probably not worth speculating too much on any of this at the moment. We don't even know how long Barry will be out. But I think Morgan Riley would like the opportunity to be on the top power play again to prove why he did so well there and why he held that spot last year and at the start of this year. Uh, so I don't know if you want to comment on that. Another thing I want to bring up on the Leafs is last week we talked about how Pontus Auberg was on the second line with Matthew and Nylander. That didn't last long. I think Auberg's been sent back to the minors or something. But either way, yesterday was Kasperi Kapanen lining up with Matthews and Nylander. No points, only one shot. He's pointless in three games. So, like, I'm not rushing out to get Kapanen, but it is an interesting spot in the lineup for him, obviously, playing with Austin Matthews. So what do you think? Are you interested in Kapanen right now? Well, first to address the Morgan Riley Tyson Barry situation. I'm I'm so frustrated. I just acquired Tyson Barry in a trade. I traded Sean Monahan for Barry and Jonathan Taves. And uh he got injured just after he had broken this six-game scoreless streak, uh, picked up an assist, seeing 86% of the power play time. I'm like, okay, yeah, he's gaining traction. He's really going to lock in that top power play spot. And then, boom, injured, which kind of opens the, opens the door for Morgan Riley, which concerns me. And fun fact, I, I, I have a fantasy hockey podcast, so I get to complain to everyone about this. This is the second time this season that I've acquired a Maple Leaf who has then been injured within three games. Mitch Marner was the other. So uh, hopefully Barry's not out for as long. You asked me about Kasperi Kapanen, though, and if I'm interested in him. I mean, yeah, I am, but he certainly becomes more streamable when he's not producing. And if you want to stream out Kasperi Kapanen, just for the moment, because you should definitely, like, this is a a season-long watch list kind of guy, right? If he's not actually on your roster, he should always be on your watch list. But maybe if you want to stream him out, uh, you can give Zach Hyman 
a turn on your roster. I put him down last week as someone that you shouldn't rely upon just because of his great deployment. And I stand by it, uh, even though I say that with my foot firmly in my mouth. He's been great over the last week, plus Zach Hyman with four goals and assists for five points and 19 shots in his last five games. Uh, Hyman won't keep scoring on 20% of the shots he takes, but he's averaging almost four shots per game in this stretch, plus a hit each game, which could still keep him relevant, even if uh, the goals aren't coming quite as often as on 20% of the shots he takes. So keep shooting and throwing a hit, Zach Hyman. Yeah, it's funny. Like, you have the right conclusion, of course, but, like, it's really weird how you got there. Like, you're talking about streaming out Kasperi Kaplan. No one has Kasperi Kaplan because <laughs> he doesn't do anything. I was talking about if maybe he's interesting. And then, of like, of course Zach Hyman is better than... Ka- Hyman has been locked with Tavares and Marner, like, all last season. Like, Kaplan just got on the second line for the first time in a long time in the last game. So I feel like, yeah, duh. Like, you should probably have Zach Hyman if your league counts hits. Uh, he should be owned by somebody. And Kaplan, yeah, maybe add him for a game or two while he's in that good spot. But I feel like he's not a C season-long watch list. He wasn't even on my watch list before I saw he was back on the second line. When he was in the bottom six, I was like, forget this guy. I have no interest in him. But he's back on my watch list, Brian. So we ended up in the same place. Uh, Next, let's go to Tampa. Nikita Kucherov is injured. Oh, no. He injured himself blocking a shot in yesterday's game versus Washington. Like, why? Don't do that. Like, you don't need to. But okay. Uh, No update yet on the current team points leader in Tampa. So hopefully we'll know something soon. Ben and Lewis from the short shifts. Uh, It's on you guys to share updated lines on Wednesday and an updated prognosis on Nikita Kucherov. I'm so glad, Brian, that we have these extra shows during the week because we don't know right now and people are probably going to want to react to the new lines and the new situation before next Sunday. So yeah, definitely check out the Short Shifts episode that will come up on Wednesday and Ben and Lewis will talk about Kucherov. Uh, While Kucherov is the team's leading point scorer on the season... Dear listener, try to guess who's the leading scorer over the past six games. I'd ask you, Brian, but obviously you've read my notes already. But I'll give you a clue. I chose six games because that's how many games Alex Killorn has been back since missing a couple due to injury. So, okay, are you ready to guess now who's the Tampa Bay leading scorer of the last six games? Okay, here you go. Yeah, it's Alex Killorn. He's crushing it since he's come back from injury. His two assists yesterday brought him to nine points in his last six. Last week, we talked about him on a 72-point pace, and I was like, can you keep that up? Now he's on a 74-point pace. We also talked about all the random Lightning players and how to rank them. At this point, Brian, are we ready to just call Killorn a must-own and a tier ahead of the Sorellis, uh, Taijos, Palats, etc.? Like, all those guys, like, basically, you know, Kucherov, Stamkos, Point, and then Alex Killorn is the fourth most valuable Lightning forward, and it's not close. He's on a line with Stamkos and Sorelli uh, at even strength. He's on the top power play. What more can you ask for Alex Killorn? Like, it really seems like uh, we're looking at a new guy this year. Or am I dumb for not having tried to sell high on him already in the cupful? Like, is this a new Alex Killorn? I know I just asked you this this past week, but he keeps doing it. So I have to keep bringing him up, I feel like, until we just confirm that, yeah, he's a superstar. Or, you know, you keep saying, I don't know, maybe, maybe not. Yeah, I'm going to say maybe not. Decidedly, maybe not. For Alex Kalorn being a new Alex Kalorn, uh, it's great. This deployment is something that he hasn't had in a long time. I feel like he hasn't had it since the year the triplets emerged as as the Lightning's best secondary scoring unit. Uh, Kalorn always had these sorts of opportunities. He was able to take advantage of them, but not hold them for very long. Uh, and this, I see being a very similar case of that. No other secondary score has stepped up. So Alex Kalorn, here you go. And way to take advantage advantage of it. He's been on the ice for nine five-on-five goals that have been scored since November 29th over seven games, and he's pointed on seven of those nine goals. That IBP is a little high. Uh, Killorn's also scored four times on 23 shots in all situations, so he's scoring on more than a quarter of a shot, so that's also a little high. So, I mean, 
Cologne can simultaneously be a must-own and a sell-high, and I think that's what he is. He should not be a free agent at all, given his deployment and scoring success lately, but I also don't see this sustaining. Under the hood, Cologne actually looks less impressive than ever in his individual numbers, but is being lifted up by both variance and teammate numbers, uh, which is okay, good for him, but I think you should be looking to find someone who thinks his production is sustainable, thinks that we're seeing a brand new Alex Cologne, and sell Cologne to that owner, uh, knowing that in all likelihood, Likelihood, what Kalorn is doing right now is not sustainable. It's fleeting. Hmm. Okay. So send Kalorn for Braden Point. And I know that's because <laughs> no one will accept that. But uh, I, obviously, you want to try to find someone good. Again, tweet at us. Don't give away for nothing. You know, I find sometimes we say to sell someone high, and then someone tweets at us, be like, okay, I just uh, traded this guy for. Uh, I don't know, Phil Kessel. So did I totally win? And I'm like, well, I don't know. Like Phil Kessel's not even doing that well. So like, make sure you're actually selling high on someone that we're excited about moving forward. Uh, but yeah, I guess I'm with you, Brian. And by the way, Tampa, a beautiful, warm place right now. It's getting a little cold here in Toronto. I'm sure a lot of our grandparents are getting ready if they haven't already headed over to Florida to enjoy their holidays, you know, over December and January. And if you're going to go around Tampa, maybe it would be good to check out a hockey game. Check out how the lightning look. Check out scout Alex Killorn, scout what the lines are potentially without uh, Nikita Kucherov, and if you're going to do that, you might as well get your tickets with our sponsor for this week's episode, which are our friends over at SeatGeek. There's a bunch of other ticketing sites out there, but you guys all know how difficult it is to use them. It's as if they're so big, they feel like they can just get away with not caring about the customer experience. So what if their site's annoying, doesn't have the events you want? Status quo, am I right? The real question is, how easy could it be if those ticketing sites actually cared? And with millions of live event tickets and a price match guarantee, SeatGeek proves that there is a better way. You could search sports, live music, comedy. They got it all. They have the tickets you're looking for all in one place and for good prices. You could even like sort your prices for a specific event by value if you want to see what's a good you know, actual value compared to what it normally costs. I also just like to take out the app, pick a city, and then see, like, what's going on there. Like, if I'm going to go traveling to Tampa, and let's actually do that, Brian. Let's go to Tampa. Let's take out the app, see what's going on next weekend. And uh, obviously, you could go see a lightning game, like I said. Uh, Not too expensive, actually, to go see a hockey game. So how about instead of talking about that... Let's say you want to go see a concert, Brian. I'm going to tell you two possible concerts you could go to around the area. Actually, one of them's in Orlando. And then you could try to guess which will be more expensive. You could go see Snoop Dogg with Warren G. How about that? Or you can see Lindsey Sterling, who is a violinist, an American violinist, singer, songwriter, and dancer. She performs choreographed violin performances both live and in music videos found on her YouTube channel. Wow, you sound like someone who is intimately familiar with the work of Lindsey Sterling. Uh, I had to look her up, but she looks cool. So, Brian, you can see Snoop Dogg or Lindsay Sterling. Have you heard of her? Uh, so, I actually had literally just today. Uh, I was looking up, like, what cool Christmas albums had been released this year and in the past. And I guess there was this, like, big YouTube video where she was fiddling inside some kind of ice castle. And now she releases Christmas albums. So, I'm guessing that's why she's touring at this time of year and might be a hot ticket I feel like venue size comes into play here. Like, like how big a venue is, is Snoop playing? And who's he touring with? Okay, so Snoop Dogg with Warren G. Oh, yeah, they're going to regulate. And uh, they're playing at the House of Blues in Orlando. And Lindsey Sterling's playing at the Ruth Eckerd Hall in Tampa. <laughs> I so. need capacity numbers I don't know. Here. Okay. Just answer the question. Uh, I'm going to say a Snoop ticket is more expensive. 
Wrong. Not even close. Ugh, I Let's, feel so like this is what I feel. I feel like if it's a giant uh, like festival setting for the Snoop concert, like maybe there's like a fifteen or twenty dollar ticket out there. But Lindsey Sterling, if it's like this intimate like two hundred person hall or something, uh, like it's more of a niche ticket. Uh, well, I don't know what you're thinking, but you got it wrong. So uh, it's 203 for Lindsey Sterling, 98 plus for Snoop wow. Dogg. Both probably good prices to see these superstars. And uh, if you think it's a little too high, how about $10 off for our listeners? Brian, tell them how. Yeah, you can get $10 off. Uh, ten. I really underestimated that festival pricing. This shows how familiar I am with... Uh, anyway, uh, you can save $10 off your first SeatGeek purchase. All you need to do is use our promo code. Uh, it's Keeping. So download the SeatGeek app today and use the promo code Keeping for $10 off on your first purchase. That's promo code Keeping for $10 off on your very first SeatGeek purchase, which can suddenly make those Lindsay Sterling tickets very affordable. Any Lindsay Sterling fans in the house? Is she the new... Maybe we we could get her to record a little theme for us. I mean, she's super famous. She's charged $200. Like, you think we're going to get someone who charges $200 a ticket to record a theme for us? <laughs> yeah. Maybe. All right. Maybe. So I, who do you think is more likely to do a theme for us? Lindsay Sterling <laughs> or Snoop? I think Snoop, actually. I mean, I would definitely take either. But let's probably move on now. We're through the T's. We're into the S's. Let's go to St. Louis. Uh, now, Brian, do you want to guess who's leading the Blues in points over the last couple of weeks? So over seven games. And again, I guess you know the answer. So I'll just continue. But for the listeners at home, remember, it was Killorn over the last couple of weeks for Tampa. And it's not Ryan O'Reilly for St. Louis. It's not Perron. It's not Schwartz. It's definitely not Braden Shen, who only has two points in his last seven games. The correct answer is Robert Thomas. He had three assists in the comeback win over Chicago yesterday, bringing his point streak to four games. And he's doing this from the bottom six, playing with the likes of Tyler Bozak, Ivan Barbashev, Alex Steen. He's only seeing power play two time. How is Robert Thomas doing? It's like, Brian, this is a name we've brought up on the podcast before. He's had chances on the top line. Like, he's had, you know, a lot of pedigree. People talking about how he's a future, like, good prospect to own in St. Louis. But right now, he's getting all these points from the bottom six. Is that a sign that he's probably going to get good deployment soon? It's not as if, you know, the pairs of Perron and Ryan O'Reilly and Schwartz and Shen are, like, being surrounded by superstars. Like, I feel like there is a chance Thomas can get back up there if he continues to prove himself like this. So what do you think? Is it time for people to start grabbing Robert Thomas? Or do you expect him to cool? off as soon as next week. Robert Thomas had 10 points in 25 games, so very bad, before this run that you're mentioning now, that now accounts for 38% of his whole season production. That's happened just over 15% of his games played, so uh, just a totally disproportionate amount of production coming from Robert Thomas. When that happens, you're like, what changed? What's happening? Well, his deployment didn't change. You mentioned his bottom six staying the same, Uh, but it's come because Thomas and his teammates have scored on more than 20% of their shots on goal at five on five over the last four games. His line has taken 27 shots on goal. They've scored on six of them. Um, but his line is not shooting markedly more often or more dangerously than before. And Robert Thomas's ice time still is not rising from bottom six territory. Uh, you did mention the glass half full look here, which is that, hey, the Blues have tried Robert Thomas in a top six role before he didn't stick maybe this buys him another audition because uh you know alex steen and jordan Cairo were playing top six roles and maybe they could be usurped but i'm not sure that's what st louis thinks is in the team's best interest so you could stream thomas but you may very well get absolutely nothing more from him i'm not 
uh, holding my breath for more production from Thomas, especially if he stays exactly where he is on the team's depth chart. And since I just mentioned his name, Elon, I want to uh, bring up Jordan Cairo and just chat about him uh, for a minute here. He's played three games now with the Blues this season. And like, uh, like we mentioned, he was on the top line or one of the top lines with Braden Shen and Jaden Schwartz. He hasn't seen a ton of ice time, uh, but he did have four shots on goal in one of these three games he's played. He had two shots in another, none in another. Not He saw power play two time in one of them. I'm just detailing this guy because he's, he's not nobody. He's got a bit of a pedigree. He was drafted in the second round back in 2016, 35th overall by the Blues. And in the AHL, he's got 68 points over, doing the math here quickly here, uh, 63 games. So he's probably done what he needs to do in the AHL to deserve a shot. He is offensively inclined. Uh, in the OHL, his last year in junior, back in 17-18, hit 109 points in 56 games with Sarnia, which is like classic uh, first three-round draft pick performance uh, for junior hockey in Ontario. So good for Jordan Cairo. He's done what he needs to do at every level, except the NHL. So let's see if he's able to turn this opportunity into something, someone to put on your watch list, uh, if he's able to stick on the on in the top six for any length of time. Okay, yeah, so maybe you, you're going to be wanting to watch at Game Day Lines. Luckily, the St. Louis Blues, they tweet out their lines pretty often, pretty much before every game, so you'll be able to keep up to date and see if it's Kairou or Robert Thomas or someone else getting good deployment. And Brian, though, if you're saying that Kairou's playing with Shen and Schwartz, it almost makes me think, well, yeah, that's fine, but even playing with Shen isn't too exciting right now. He's down to a 63-point pace after a really hot start. Uh, is there a reason for concern, or is this kind of like Ovechkin, like just a weird blip, and he's going to turn it around soon? We're not seeing Shen go cold here. This isn't a weird blip. This is just sort of uh, an evening out, a balancing out uh, from an unsustainable start that Shen had. You know, our projections on our almanac averaged him out at 65 points. I think we're going to be right. I think that's exactly where Shen lands. So, you know, there's been some hot, there's been some cold. Let's just hope he keeps it a steady 60, 65 point pace the rest of the way. Yeah, though, I mean, when we made that projection, I was assuming that Vladimir Tarasenko was going to be there with him throughout the season. So I probably would have brought it down a little bit after that Tarasenko injury, maybe closer to like 60. But yeah, okay, so you're saying you're not too worried. So maybe we'll just keep our eye on Braden Shen and see if things start to turn around for him soon. Okay, next to San Jose, coaching change. Pete DeBoer is out, Bog Bugner is in. We're already seeing some interesting new lines. So we're trying everything out in yesterday's 4-2 win over the Canucks. The Sharks are going with Couture, Kane, and Meyer, and then Thornton, Hurdle, and LeBeg. So very interesting to see Joe Thornton on the top line. He also saw, or I guess not the top line, but in the top six playing with Tomas Hurdle. Uh, he also saw two minutes and seven seconds of power play time, which was the most for forwards on the Sharks. Like very interesting to see Thornton still relevant at the age of 40. He's had a couple assists lately in his last couple games. So we'll see what he can do. A lot like uh, someone else you brought up earlier. Oh, Chandler Stevenson. Like he's not going to give you any shots. He's not going to give you any hits or blocks. Like you're hoping for an assist, hopefully a power play assist from Thornton if you stream him in. So probably not someone to talk about too much. Uh, The one person we do have to bring up again, unfortunately, Brent Burns continues to struggle. He's pointless in 11 games now. We brought him up a couple weeks ago. I guess he was pointless in six or something. Now it's 11, down to a 49-point pace on the year. When we talked about Burns last, I recall you saying we should probably think of him more as a 60-point guy now instead of an 80-point guy. Do we need to downgrade that even more at this point? Like, Brent Burns is becoming... kind. Like, before we were saying, okay, I guess he's not as good as we hoped. That's a bummer. Still, like, really useful piece on your lineups. Now he's, like, burning a hole in people's lineups. He's not getting any points. What are people supposed to do? People are supposed to 
shop him like we said they should last week get rid of your brent burns while you can except now is probably the worst time because he's not going to be this bad the rest of the way maybe wait until he restores some faith although it's going to be hard for him to recover full value after going through a stretch like this Brent Burns, uh, it's not all on him, though. He's been on the ice for just nine goals in this 11-game cold snap. Sadly, he hasn't pointed on any of them, but there's been weak scoring as a whole while he's on the ice. I guess you could ask, is that on him? Uh, I feel like maybe he can't quite create the way he once could. He's now without a goal in 15 games, so he's, of course, not converting himself. No goals on Burns' last 34 shots, which is very sad. And of course, Burns should have scored at least one or two in that span. But also, the headline here, only 34 shots in 15 games for Brent Burns. This is part of what we talked about last week. Burns just is not shooting as often or as dangerously as he once did. And it is very much starting to feel like this is the beginning of the end for Brent Burns. I hope he makes me eat my words, and we'll see if a coaching change can get him going, but that's not something we should have to say about Brent Burns. I'm not holding my breath he's going to recover. Elon, I'm not going all the way down to 45-50. I still think 60 points is reasonable, but I guess we'll get a sense over the next two or three weeks if and when he can right the ship. Yeah, I mean, a 60-point defenseman is still really good and rare, right? So if he's struggling so much, maybe we do soon have to downgrade him to closer to 55. Like, I'm nervous. So, you know, we got some questions about him this week. The answer is, yeah, we're nervous. I don't know how bad it's going to be. Hopefully, Brian's ready. He can still be a 60-point guy. But there's a lot of reason for concern. His deployment isn't as good. He's not shooting. Like, it's all the stuff that you don't want to see. Uh, uh, still on the Sharks. I'm not going to ask you about the Sharks goalies, because why bother? It's not like you have anything to say that we don't all already know. But FYI, Aaron Dell had a good game yesterday. He stopped. 33 of 35 shots. I've already read that he's likely to get the start next Tuesday versus Arizona. Then the Sharks don't play until a back-to-back on the weekend. So probably Dell and Martin Jones will each get a game there. You know, perhaps a new coach in town. Maybe we've hit the end of the line for Martin Jones as a starter. Like, he only has one greater than 900 save percentage game in his last five. Just terrible. Like, that's a coach killer right there. Maybe Martin Jones stops a few more pucks, and maybe Pete DeBoer still has a job. We'll never know. Not that Dell has been much better, of course, but I think if you were holding on to Martin Jones before, because, hey, at least he plays a lot, and he'll win some games. He has more wins than Jacob Markstrom on the year. At this point, that might not even be a given. I feel like it could totally be 50 50 or just whoever's hot so and jones is not going to be hot for long so i i'm ready to tell people to drop martin jones i guess we already had in a lot of leagues now i feel like i wouldn't be surprised to see him in free agency in like all my leagues and hey try out aaron dell but he's probably gonna blow you up too sharks are in trouble it's not like the old coach, Pete DeBoer, didn't want Aaron Dell to succeed, right? Aaron Dell just couldn't succeed. So I, the coaching change, I just don't see what that is really going to be able to do for the Sharks goaltending situation. And aside from maybe uh, play a defense that's better suited to protecting Martin Jones and Aaron Dell, like we talked about how in the offseason Aaron Dell was told, like he stayed in San Jose or whatever, he's he trained, he worked with the goalie coach, uh, and the organization wanted to commit to him. He just hasn't given them that chance. So I feel like DeBoer was probably desperate for Aaron Dell to play better than Jones, would have loved to get him more games, if only he could have been up to that task. I assume 
him, uh, the new coach will feel the exact same way, but whether or not Dell can actually come through for them is an entirely other question. So I'm actually not changing my take on Jones versus Dell. This is not a situation where the coach had a preference of one over the other. They just had to go with the lesser of two evils. Uh, I guess that's fair, though it did seem like Jones always got back in the net if both of them struggled. So, But you're right. Like, anyway, Not worth talking about. They suck. Uh, let's go to Pittsburgh now. Another week, another three games for Tristan Jari. He has won his last two, including a shutout over Columbus on Thursday. So you've got to imagine he'll keep getting starts next week. Pittsburgh goes Tuesday, Friday, Saturday. So we'll likely see Murray again next weekend. But until then, still Tristan Jari time, I'll assume. Like, he hasn't been as good as before. But hey, that shutout sort of improves things overall. Uh, another guy I just can't seem to say enough about is Brian freaking Rust. He and Jake Gensel had to live with Jared McCann as their center over the last couple of games. Malkin has been out with an illness, but no big deal at all. Gensel, three assists versus LA yesterday. Rust had two goals and an assist. Of course, with Gensel, we're not too surprised. Like I said before, he's got 36 points in 33 games on the season. Even better than we imagined for Jake Gensel. And like, even with Crosby injured, it doesn't matter. I guess he could do it with Malkin. Hell, he could even do it with Rust and McCann. We saw over the last couple of games. Rust now is up to 22 points in 19 games on the year. Uh, according to the timeline, given when Crosby had his injury, he should be back in a couple of weeks. So it will be very interesting to see whether Gensel, Rust, Malkin stick together, or if Crosby gets his favorite line mate back in Gensel, maybe he gets Rust as well. I'm very interested to see how these lines will shake out. No point speculating on that right now. I honestly don't even have a question for you like about all of these guys. I'm just sort of rambling here. Just seems to me so obvious to say the advice, which we've already said. It's probably too late. Like, yeah, Brian Rust needs to be owned in all these. We're still getting questions every once in a while of like, should I add Brian Rust? We even had a question last week of someone asked if they should drop Brian Rust after he had two pointless games. It's like, no, right? Like, definitely Rust in every league. He's crushing it. He's got great linemates. He's on the top power play. This guy's going to keep on producing for the foreseeable future. I don't see why not. Yeah, don't dare drop Brian Rust or think you should stream him out. He's actually doing, Elon, what you suggested Alex Kalorn might have been doing. We are seeing a brand new Brian Rust. He's legit doing work to earn a lot of these new numbers that he's putting up on the score sheet. He's got career highs going in shot rates and expected goals rates, and only one big marker of variance, and that's in his 5-on-5 on-ice shooting percentage that's high, but that's also due in part to him playing with elite scores so consistently in Gensel and Malkin. It's funny because Brian Russ still doesn't sound like the name of a high-end score, but he absolutely should be rostered and shouldn't be taken lightly here. He's not your typical Kalorn. I don't believe he's soon to turn into a pumpkin. Uh, you should go out, like, see if you can find someone who thinks they're being smart and selling high on Brian Russ and see if uh, you can grab him because he would be a fantastic addition to anyone's roster. Also, Tristan Jari uh, still doing well, but also, is this the start of his comeback down to earth? He had that 17-save shutout against Columbus, where, you know, that's a light night for him, but that was sandwiched between a 9.05 performance and an 8.80 performance. Of course, the 9.05, he made 38 saves to earn, so you can't really begrudge him that. But these are just numbers that, hey, if these continue, you know, one or two out of every three or four games, that might then open the door finally back up to Murray. But Tristan Jari's still uh, looking real good at what he's doing. Yeah, I think we'll see. Like, Murray has to also come in and do well himself in order to actually get a chance to get back in the net. And like I said, we'll probably see one game of Murray next weekend, if I were to guess. Okay, let's go to Philly now. Terrible news for Oscar Lindblom. He's been diagnosed with Ewing sarcoma, which is a cancer that forms in bone or soft tissue. He's going to be out for the rest of the season getting treatment. We, of course, wish him a full recovery. Uh, That's okay. 
very sad for sure. Uh, Travis Konechny also, he's like not as bad, of course. He's out with a concussion, out indefinitely. I haven't seen any updates on him lately. So let's look at what's going on in Philly. Well, one thing we already mentioned in Philly is they got destroyed today by Winnipeg. So any lines, it's not even worth looking at lines, I feel like, in a blowout like that. Like we saw in yesterday's game, Philly was running with Couturier and Voracek and Giroux all on the top line, and that already changed today. Uh, Farabee was getting a shot on the top line. I'm sure it'll all switch around, so who knows with these forwards. Like JVR actually had four, has four points in his last four games now. Uh, he scored today and yesterday. Only one shot in each of those games. He just happened to score on both of them, so he's looking better. But really, like, one shot a game for JVR doesn't interest me at all, so I'm still not into him, even with this run that he's on. Uh, Gosses Beher, he's still on the top power play, I guess. He, he scored today also on, like, one shot so i don't know like these players on philly some of them are producing but i'm not excited here and honestly i don't have really questions for you here as well like voracek gosses behair they're still like kind of interesting if they've been dropped but not especially exciting to me yeah and i'd say that for james van reeves like i've been trying to look for reasons to add him for so long and he's actually on a good run he's now up to with tonight's game he has eight points in his last nine games how do you leave that in free agency uh you leave it in free agency because he's doing it while barely taking shots and playing 11 or 12 minutes a night so it's like the the score sheet is working the rest of it looks like it's all just luck so it's a really frustrating situation for not knowing what to do with someone like James Van Riemsdyk or Shane Goss's bear or Jacob Voracek but I think they're all worth a shot Voracek in particular his time on ice his power play role they're trending in the right direction though he still is not showing the shot volume I wish we could see from him he had 37 shots in his first 16 games and then followed that up with 19 shots only in his next 16 games he somehow but he's somehow pacing reasonably similarly in both those halves and his points scored thanks to just picking up a whole lot of assists goals have not been his bread and butter this year but so go ahead and try Voracek or JVR or Ghost, but you can at this point forget about your Farabees and Frosts and Kevin Hayes has cooled off, although I think he got a point again tonight too. Uh, Philly's been a really tough team to predict this year. I don't know exactly what's going on with them, uh, but at least they make for some good free agent fodder. Yeah, potentially when they have a good schedule, you could stream in a flyer. Carter Hart came in today. Brian Elliott got totally destroyed. He led in six goals on 17 shots. Hart came in, led in a goal on seven. So Hart seems to be the, like, you know, Elliott, I'm actually Brian very happy. I had Elliott in one of my leagues, you know, that PHL league where goalies are really hard to find. I dropped him very recently for James Reimer, and I'm very happy I did, not only because Reimer got me a shutout yesterday, but also I didn't have uh, Elliott in it, and I totally would have played him and gotten big negative points today. So I'm really glad to let go of him. I don't think you want... Like, yeah, Carter Hart's good, but Philly is a scary team. So anytime you play a Philly goalie, you're potentially in trouble. Uh, okay, let's go to Ottawa now. Uh, I, I feel like I'm gonna, we're going to hear from a Philly fan for me saying that. Like, that Carter Hart has some big fans out there. I feel like every time we mention him negatively, we hear back being like, no, he's amazing. Yeah, he's going to be really good. I'm more concerned just about Philly overall. Ottawa, Brian, your hometown. Ben and Lewis talk about Anthony Duclair all the time, but I think it's been a while since we've brought him up, and this guy is red hot. He had a hat-trick yesterday versus Columbus, bringing him to eight goals and two assists in his last six games. And the guy's not even playing with Brady Kachuk. It's been Kachuk with Peugeot and Connor Brown on the top line, and then Duclair with Chris Tierney. And in the last game, he, the, the third piece was either Nemesnikov or Nick Paul. 
at this point, Brian, maybe it's time to stop talking about Brady Kachuk as like the guy you want to be playing with. I feel like whenever we talk about Ottawa players, we're like, okay, who's the guy playing with Kachuk? That's the one you probably want to stream in. At this point, like Brady Kachuk, he's not the top scorer on the team. It's Anthony Duclair. He's got 25 points in 33 games. Next is Peugeot. Next is Shabbat. Next is Connor Brown. And then you've got Brady Kachuk with 19 points in 33 games, which is fine. But like, I don't know. I feel like I have to make this shift in my head that Brady Kachuk might not be the straw that stirs the drink over in Ottawa unless you want to, you know, combat that opinion with some underlying numbers. But Brian, like, who would you rather have moving forward between Duclair and Kachuk if we're looking at just offense? Obviously, Kachuk helps you with some other categories. But in terms of who's going to get more points the rest of the way, very interested to know who you'd have between them. Also interested to know what your answer is to this tweet we got from Address on Fire. He asked, would you guys do Duclair for Shen? in a bangers league so uh i guess the two questions for you duclair versus kachuk duclair versus shen okay before i look at those comparisons let's just talk about anthony duclair for who he is let's not compare him to other people we don't need to do that to recognize the greatness that has been anthony duclair as an ottawa senator just recently, right, we can look and say, hey, he has 16 points over his last 14 games, 50 shots over that span. So averaging more than three shots per game. Uh, he's actually currently on a stretch where he has had at least three shots in each game uh, in 12 of his last 13 games. There's just one game where he had just a shot against Montreal. Uh, and that was sad, but he's at three, four, six, or seven shots in the other 12 in this amazing stretch he's in. And it's not, uh, it's not totally out of the blue. Uh, Duclair is a 60 point player since arriving in Ottawa. He has 26 goals and 39 points in 54 games. And he officially carries a line now, which means there are two more players in Ottawa that you might consider owning at any given time, right? Like you said, we used to say who's playing with Kachuk. Now it's, well, who's playing with Kachuk and who's playing with Duclair? And it's a legit question you have about which senator is better to own. Duclair's emergence has been really exciting. We've waited his whole career for this, just as he's waited his whole career to play more than 13 minutes a night. Now Duclair is seeing a career 16 and a half minutes a night, plus a power play role. So obviously he's a must-own Obviously also won't keep scoring eight goals every six games. He scored seven times on his last 17 shots. But hey, he's taking a few shots per game, getting great deployment opportunities. So there's still a lot to like about Duclair. If I'm choosing between him and Kachuk in a points league, oh, it's really hard. I Like, I want to lean Kachuk because I think Duclair probably has some regression that's going to hit. And he also plays fewer minutes than Kachuk on the whole. But it's really really close. And then Duclair versus Shen. I think I'll take Braden Shen, especially if it's a bangers league. Cause I mean, Shen isn't the hitter he once was, but there's still a bonus for him there. And I'd still expect him to outpoint Duclair the rest of the way. Uh, so Duclair is amazing, but he's still my third pick out of Duclair, Kachuk and Shen. Elon, where does he, like, how do you rank him there? No, I think that sounds good. And hey, just the fact that he's in this conversation just goes to show how far Duclair has come. And right now he's on fire. If I'm just streaming for now, maybe I'm going to ride out this hot streak. But yeah, long term, probably Kachuk and Braden Shen are the safer picks. I actually, uh, there's another comparison that's ongoing. This thread is going to appear all year long in our Facebook group. Someone said they traded Duclair for Phil Kessel. And I commented, oh, that's great. Like, way to go. Way to get Kessel. And ever since then, Duclair has been on fire. And people are reminding me in the comments every time it happens. 
I don't know if I've made a mistake. I real I'm like every with every passing day I feel more and more like I would rather have Duclair than Kessel, especially now that Duclair's shooting so much. I think at the end of the day, I still think Kessel should be able to do at least what Duclair does, <laughs> but I'm I'm losing faith. He's been so quiet. Yeah, Brian, that was, like, last week also. Like, this wasn't, like, at the start of the season. You make it seem as if, like, you're starting... Like, I res- I responded being like, I don't know if I like that trade. And then you're like, great job! And everyone else is like, what? What are you talking about, Brian? Like, living in the past a little bit. But hey, it, uh, apparently the rumors are that Taylor Hall might be going to Arizona. So obviously that would change things for Phil Kessel, assuming they play together. Uh, but anyways, that's just speculation. But what if they don't? So you like Duclair over Kessel? Probably. I mean, Would yeah. you trade Kessel for Duclair if you had Kessel? Yeah, I think so. Hmm. I don't know. Like, what, what are you going to do at this point of the season, right? You got to do something. Uh, it depends on how you're doing. I guess you could, like, wait. Kessel has the higher ceiling, you would think, considering he's a former 90-point guy. But also, he's on Arizona. He's not even playing, like, I don't even know if he's on the top line. Like, Clayton Keller, we'll get to him, I guess, in, like, a million hours, because we're talking about the A in Arizona. But uh, Keller's on a hot streak right now. He's the guy you want to own there, and he's not even playing with Kessel, aside from on the power play. So, yeah, Kessel just doesn't interest me much. Uh, anyways, thanks, at Address on Fire, for the question. We always like getting questions from you guys on Twitter, at Keeping Carlson is where you can send them. Uh, and also on our Facebook group, by the way, which is where you get answers from Brian, sometimes a uh, little bit disagreeing with the group answers, like the one he just talked about. But yeah, keepingcarlson.com slash patron to get in the conversation there. Let's go to the New York Rangers, have our weekly Rangers line update because it changes every single week. So don't trust anything in terms of you're going to be depending on who's playing with who. In the 4-3 shootout loss to Anaheim yesterday, we saw Panarin with Strom and Kako and then Zibanejad with Kreider and Buchnevich. Or at least that's how the game started. Looks like Kreider and Buchnevich got bumped at some point and Zibanejad was playing a bit with Lemieux and Fast. Or I guess you could look at it as uh, Zibanejad getting bumped, but I don't look at it that way because Zibanejad's doing great. Bottom line, we told you that you could drop Ryan Strom because he was away from Panarin or Zibanejad, and now it looks like, eh, maybe not. <laughs> you probably want to get Ryan Strom back now that he's playing with Panarin for as long as that lasts. Who knows? Maybe from now on, don't take any advice about the Rangers based on a recent line change because we see how commonly they change. Then you've got Capococco, no points in his last two games, even though he's been playing with Panarin on the top line and top power play. Like I said, though, they lost their last game. Lines will probably change again. Who knows? You know who is looking really good lately and someone we could actually dig into? Jacob Truba. He's got two goals and five assists in his last nine games. And actually saying that is a little bit misleading because that was actually over a six-game stretch. Truba's actually now pointless in three, but he had two goals and five assists in the previous six games before that. He's now up to 17 points in 32 games on the season. That's a 44-point pace for Jacob Truba. Did you even... I didn't even realize he was pacing this well, to be honest. Like, he's been off the top power play all season long, so this isn't a line speculation thing. Like, he's not on the top power play he's still pacing for 44 points do you think he could keep pushing that upwards towards last year's 50 point mark even with this power play two deployment like it seems like anthony d'angelo is pretty locked into the top power play he's been there for a while but this is not a pk suban situation going on uh, on the rangers like truba's doing just fine from where he is he sure is and good for jacob truba to still give his owners this solid fantasy performance through the year even if it's not the upsider situation we dreamed of that would have come with top power play deployment but truba is making lemonade out of lemons from power play too i think it's getting greedy elon to hope for any more from jacob truba 44 point pace be happy with that especially when truba's on an all-around weaker team than he's been on when pacing this way in the past and of course jacob truba still coming through with the blocks and actually career high pace for both hits and shot rates so way to go jacob truba um we were hoping 
he would head to the Rangers and stay stable at five on five while feasting on the power play. That second part hasn't happened, but the first part has. Let's give him credit for going to New York, staying stable at five on five. That's the part he has control over, and he is controlling it excellently. Yeah, good job, Truba, and good job, people who held on to him in fantasy, even though he wasn't getting the deployment we hoped for. Let's go to the Islanders now. The Rangers aren't the only team shifting their lines around a bit lately. Sure, the Islanders are currently 22-7-2, which is good for second in the Metro, but that hasn't stopped Barry Trotz from shaking things up a bit. I guess he wants to be even better. In yesterday's 3-2 win over the Sabres, we saw Barzal with Bailey and Ross Johnston. And Actually, there was this funny story about Ross Johnston apparently got a bad check or something. And then Bailey went and stood up for him, even though Johnson was like a lot bigger than him. And Bailey took a penalty, but according to Roto World, like he earned the respect of his teammates. So I don't know, whatever. But that that's one line on the Islanders. Then you've got like Beauvillier, Eberly, Nelson, Lee. Like they're all just kind of swapping around. Like it's really hard to even tell uh, game by game who's playing with who there. Uh, the player that seems to be benefiting the most from all of this movement lately is Josh Bailey, who's in the best possible spot on the top line and top power play with Barzal. And Bailey's on fire. He's got eight points in his last eight games. Nothing yesterday day in terms of points but he had four shots for a second straight game bailey's always someone who's so so frustrating to own because if he doesn't get you a point he doesn't shoot much but lately he's been you know giving us this new avenue of success fantasy wise like i said eight shots over his last two games so yeah bailey he's no longer a sure like season hold like he has been in the past was it time for people to start rushing to grab bailey in most formats while he's getting this good deployment and on this nice run i just added him so yeah you should do the same. Go get Josh Bailey. And it's because of all this time he's spending with Matt Barzell. You know, Bailey is kind of a butt, though, because he's actually shooting less at 5-on-5 five five than he ever has before in his career. The butt was pretty low for him heading into this season. Uh, but as you mentioned, at least he seems to be bucking that trend lately with those two four-shot games for Josh Bailey. This from a guy who often posts ones or zeros in the shots column. So yeah, with Bailey's Barzal exposure, there's no reason not to give him a shot on your roster to see where this goes. Best case, he continues to be a guy who paces above 60 points for uh, hopefully some stretch of time. Worst case, he falters and you drop him without much harm done. Pretty good upside for a likely free agent. Yeah, definitely, Brian. And next, we're done with the two New York teams. We're going to go to New Jersey next, where we'll spend, I guess, five minutes speculating about Taylor Hall. Before we get to that, though, everyone, take out your phones. Take a look at our beautiful logo, which was provided to us by our friend and patron of Keeping Carlson, Brandon Weeps. We want to take a second to once again thank Brandon for his amazing logo for this show and also all the other shows on our network, the Stream Scheme, the Stat Attack, our patron cast. Like, Brandon gave us a whole suite of logos, and I think they're all really beautiful. So let's just take a second to look at what Brandon could potentially do for you. He is a freelance graphic designer. He specializes in logo design and event branding. He works with different sized businesses, sports teams, and organizations. Like I said, he's a patron of Keeping Carlson. He's in the cupful. This guy, you know, you could talk to him about your freelance graphic design needs and also talk hockey at the same time. So an overall fun guy to be working with. Uh, also, of course, location isn't a barrier because uh, he can work for it. Brian and I never even met him and we got all of these great logos. That's how the internet works. It's pretty amazing. Uh, Brian, why don't you talk about some of the other cool things Brandon has? And I know you were talking to him this week about that awesome Swift Current Broncos jersey. 
Yeah, the Swift Current Broncos home and away jerseys. He designed the jerseys, logo, and patches. They were ranked the 95th best jersey of all time from any league globally by the Hockey News. And Brandon's been doing this for a while. He's been doing it for 11 years. He's designed show posters. He's designed baseball jerseys. He's designed hockey cards. And he can design anything you want for your sports team or publication, too. You can see all of Brandon's work, including our entire Keeping Carlson podcast network branding and those famous Broncos jerseys on his website, brandonweeb.com. That's B-R-A-N-D-O-N-W-I-E-B-E.com. You can contact Brandon uh, to get an estimate or to see if he'll be a great fit for you again. That's brandonweeb, B-R-A-N-D-O-N-W-I-E-B-E.com. Was that like a jingle for his website? It turned into one about like three quarters of the way through the spelling. <laughs> W-I-E-B-E.com contact Brandon Weep. Okay, so next let's go to the New Jersey Devils. Taylor Hall has sat out two straight games now with the trade being all but assured at this point. This is a lot like Brian. Remember last year for the Sens when Duchesne and Stone and Dezingle, they weren't even playing. The Sens didn't want to risk them getting injured before a trade. So even you now, the person who hates speculating about trades, I think you could agree that Taylor Hall is gone. He's not playing anymore for New Jersey. That would be very surprising. Kind of a bummer that nothing has been confirmed for tonight's show. Looks like Ben and Lewis will likely get the first crack at breaking down the trade. I was hoping we'd have some news before we recorded today. But in the meantime, we can at least discuss the Devils post Taylor Hall and ask if there's like anyone worth owning on this team. Like last week, I was still pumping up Nikita Gusev. Maybe I need to slow down on that after a pointless week. He had a five shot game, but uh, he didn't go to the top line like I expected he might with Hall out of the lineup. Uh, but like just going down the list, Palmieri, Hishier, Hughes, Vatnin. Like are any of these guys worth holding with Hall out of the lineup? Like last year, Palmieri only had 14 points in 33 games in the second half with Hall out. Hishier had 18 points in 30. 30- 32 games in the second half of the year last year. Like, are these the paces we need to expect from any Devils? Is like best case scenario moving forward, maybe like a 55, 50 point pace moving forward? Like, gotta imagine the Hall trade will be for future values. It's not as if someone's going to come back to help the Devils this year. So I'd be worried, yeah, about every single New Jersey Devil. I don't know if I want to own any of them moving forward. It's a really dire situation in New Jersey without Taylor Hall. Uh, they've lost the two games that he's sat out, and I would expect they'll lose a whole lot more. They lost a lot, a lot of games with him in the lineup. Uh, they're obviously not going to be any better. This is a team that generally struggles to score goals. They have just three goals over the last three games, and look, I can stretch that back to pretty much any number of games, and it'll still be an underwhelming number, all the more underwhelming without Taylor Hall. There's not a ton of daylight in Jersey once Hall departs. And I don't see anyone in New Jersey who can really be the centerpiece of a line the way a Hall can. I'd love for Nico Heeshear to be the guy, but then who are his support pieces? So I think maybe the only devil worth holding would be someone like Sammy Vatnin. Uh, as the power play quarterback. He's decent at filling in some peripherals. He plays defense. So he takes a few boxes there for still carrying some fantasy value. I think the other thing you might be hoping, if you're a Palmieri owner or Hishier or Hughes or whatever, maybe the return for Hall could be like a hockey trade, quote unquote, right? Like maybe they get an actual warm body who can come in and not do what Hall did, but still be a reasonable piece in their top six, uh, but still, that would be uh, cold consolation for anybody hoping for a big season in New Jersey you know, on offense with the help of Taylor Hall. It's really hard to think that any devil without Hall can be more than a 55-point player the rest of the way. 
Yeah, even like Sammy Vatnin, sure, he's going to be quarterback in the top power play, but it's a Taylor Hall-less top power play, which is probably going to be a lot less effective. So not great. And if your league counts plus minus, oh boy. Uh, Louis Demang, by the way, is injured. So a guy named Evan Cormier has been called up. So uh, good luck. Evan Cormier and anyone who wants to stream him in when he plays. Actually, New Jersey did have a good game yesterday against Arizona. So good for them and good for Mackenzie Blackwood for having a good game. But I don't expect too many of those going forward. Prove me wrong, Devils. Uh, Let's go to Nashville now. Kyle Granlin's hurt again. Maybe he'll be back by his next game. He's probably still getting over that same ailment. But that left Matt Duchesne to play with Kyle Turris and Craig Smith yesterday. Like we said last week, it may be hard to depend on much from Duchesne until like Arvidsson and Granlin are healthy and Nashville has a full lineup of good players for him to play with. Uh, right now, I'm still into Callie Yarncroft, still on the top line and top power play with Forsberg. I don't really have anything new to say from the, our Nashville conversation last week about the forwards. Uh, Nashville does play Monday, Tuesday, Thursday, Saturday, so I actually did pick up Callie Yarncroft in the cupful for at least those first three games of the week in four days. Then I'll see what I'm going to do with him after that. But hard to leave a guy on the top line and top power play with Forsberg in free agency, right? Right? And okay, now I want to get to the goaltending. Here's my take on Nashville that I want you to comment on. Another rough outing for Pecorino yesterday. He led in four goals on 22 shots versus Dallas in the 4-1 loss. This was after UC Saros had a similarly bad game versus Buffalo. He also led in four goals, but on 32 shots at least. Uh, over the last seven games, Rene has played four times. Saros has played three, both under a 900 save percentage on the season. So it looks like we've got pretty much a timeshare. Two bad goals. Kind of reminds me of our conversation we just had about the San Jose goalies. And if I just said that I think Martin Jones and, of course, Aaron Dell should be free agents in most leagues are we at the point where the same can be said about like Pekka Rene like I just added like I said James Reimer in a deep league yesterday and we'll get to him in a bit but like if guys like Reimer who are getting starts and doing well are available in free agency is it time for people to start considering Pekka Rene as someone you might want to drop for someone like a James Reimer like I know Rene's had this great career and you probably drafted him really high but is he still worth owning in your opinion Brian yeah I think he's definitely worth still owning Pekka Rene always has a chance to fight his way back and that chance is really emphasized by the fact he's been a pretty good goalie this year he ranks 17th out of 43 regular goalies in five on five save percentage UC Saros ranks 41st out of 43 goalies in that same metric and Rene is also outperforming uh, his expected goals against UC Saros is not so I'd have a really hard time dropping Pecorine outright. Like, try to trade him instead or cough him with Saros for a bit if natu- if you just need starts. But I see that Pecorine in his numbers looks like the person who will win the job uh, in the long run over the course of the rest of the season. So to give up on him now uh, might not be a great idea. Okay, fair, yeah. And Brian, by the way, don't come back to me two weeks later and be like, Elon, I know you hate Pecorine. I was asking the question, I agree with you, okay? I do think I would probably still be holding on to him. It is interesting to see how much he's fallen, but we've seen this before and we've also seen him bounce back. We hope that Nashville could be a bit of a better team moving forward, maybe once those injured players come back. So yeah, I'd hold on as well, but it is a concerning situation. Sounds like Brian's suggesting maybe buy low, but if we're going to buy low, it is still a goalie, so it's impossible to predict. Hopefully you're buying like really, really low. Like you're giving a player who you were planning to drop soon anyways and so the cost is minimal Uh, let's talk about another goalie let's go to montreal on the other end of the spectrum carry price finally starting to do well he's had five straight starts above a 900 save percentage now up to a 905 save percentage on the season and hopefully going to keep climbing from there you know if you remember last year it was also a bad start for carry price and he really picked things up in the second half he had a 920 plus save percentage in his final 34 games he was really really good one of the top goalies out there are you expecting the same from price this year 
or is now maybe the time to sell while he's on a bit of a run before it starts going to uh, poop uh, again soon, like it was for the past like couple weeks before this nice run? I would not be tempted to sell high on Carey Price. I doubt you could sell Carey Price for any kind of return. Uh, and Oh, I disagree. To justify uh, it? Who do you I'll think bet you, you could get back for Carey Price? I'll bet you if I found a team that needed to go, I'll bet you if I reached out to Dave Benton right now and offered him Carey Price, I could get a pretty good return. I'll bet you a lot of people are expecting him to still be solid moving forward. But it sounds like you agree that he'll be solid moving forward, so I shouldn't let him go. Yeah, but he's been inconsistent enough to leave a lot of doubt in people's minds and f- make them feel like they're taking on a risk if they're getting Carey Price. And true, you are as you would be with any goalie, but Carey Price is in a good spot in Montreal. He gets top 10 protection from the defense in front of him. He's been an average goalie in 5-on-5 save percentage and goals saved above average this year. Could work on his penalty kill number. I think I'd actually look for the owner who thinks they're selling high on Carey Price and see if I can get a deal for taking him off their hands. You know I believe in Montreal, and I similarly still believe in Carey Price being an at least average goaltender. Yeah, I agree. And and hey, if he follows the same pattern as last year, could be a lot above average. That's what I'm definitely hoping for as a Carey Price owner in the Cupful. Okay, let's go to Minnesota. We're going to be having some players coming back next week. I saw that Koivu, Spurgeon, Dubnik could all be back next week. So everything we talk about now in terms of line combinations or anything, we'll have to wait and see how everything gets affected. But there's a lot of interesting fantasy options for the Wild right now. Like Eric Stahl is on fire. He has another goal today after two goals yesterday. Uh, but like Zucker, Stahl, Zuccarello, Parisi, Fiala all had five or six points in their last seven games going into today's game versus Chicago. And yeah, a bunch of them have points. Like Fiala has a goal. Uh, Stahl, like I said, has a goal assisted by Zucker. In fact, Fiala has two goals. I have to correct myself. And Ryan Suter has three assists. And Brian, you recommended I drop Ryan Suter in the cuffle. Why did you do that? Why did I listen to you? Oh my God. Uh, yeah, yes, I, didn't, I, I recommended a lot of things. Yeah, I should stop asking you questions because you just recommend a lot of things and you don't even remember <laughs> that you did it. Uh, you didn't even, like, apologize. After- <laughs> Elon, I'm deeply and woefully sorry that Ryan Suter's had such a big night tonight and he's not on your roster to do it. Who? But you had a decision to make. Who were the... I forget. Who did you add for him? I don't know. I could have dropped Shane Goss's behair, but I dropped uh, Suter and said, you love Goss's Who also too. scored tonight. I, I gave you permission to drop... You named, like, four guys. You could have dropped any of them. It was a crapshoot. <laughs> Yeah, a couple so hard. Tier one is is tricky. I'm not doing well. I just made a trade. I don't even know how that's going to work out. I might have paid too much to get a bit more depth. But man, no one wants to hear about my league. They want to hear about the Minnesota Wild. And yeah, all these guys I'm talking about looking good right now. Like like I said, I'm bringing up Eric Stahl at random, but I could mention any of these guys. Stahl's been hot and cold all season long, going on hot runs like the one he's on now. But he also had stretches of doing nothing, even like no shots on goal for a few games, which made Eric Stahl seem like an easy drop before this most recent and hot streak. Do you think we can just group all these wild forwards together for now and say we expect similar hot and cold runs the rest of the way? When I say all the forwards, you know, like the ones in the top six, or is there any reason to expect this current run to be more sustainable than the previous ones? Maybe Minnesota's finally figured out whatever they need to, and now the the Zuckers, Stalls, Zuccarellos, Parisis, Fialas, are they all going to be like worth owning moving forward for the rest of the year? It's impossible to say. I still don't know what to make of this Minnesota team at this point of the season. All their forwards seem to run hot and cold. I'm looking at who's benefited from what. It looks like Stahl's shooting percentage is pretty high at 5-on-5. Zuccarello also seeing some luck in his variants. Jason Zucker and Zach Prezi. By the way, Zucker might have been hurt tonight. I think I saw that fly past my timeline uh, while we were recording. And uh, so keep an eye on that. But Zucker and Prezi look um, the most reasonable. 
for being able to sustain their numbers. But, like, you can't count on these guys any given night. So they make pretty decent stream-in, stream-out fodder, depending on the depth of your league. Yeah, sounds good. And I want to talk now about Matt Dumba, who's been terrible. Quick update, though, uh, from our Vegas chat. Shay Theodore, two assists today so far. So, Brian, you uh, unjinxed him. Boom. And look at that. It's two straight games now with a couple of points. So maybe uh, it's about to... It's about Your bylo. it's too late. You can't get him anymore. It's over. Oh, well. We if tried. only you listened live to the show and were able to propose and get a deal accepted within the first 20 minutes of it. Yeah, well, only patrons like Dez here in the chat room and Doug, like they were able to watch live and maybe pull off a trade, but everyone else couldn't do it. But oh, yeah, okay. Right, we've got a lot of questions about Matt Dumba. Like, even with all this offense, and let's look at today's game, I think it's no different. Minnesota keeps scoring goals and Matt Dumba keeps getting no points this is terrible he's pointless in 12 going into today so it's maybe gonna soon be pointless in 13 games dumbo was recently dropped in my couple tier one division he was scooped up by joe for 13 dollars of fab money uh that's the free agent acquisition budget i'm not gonna get into it here but you guys who know about fab know that that's actually quite a bit considering the season budget is 100 do you think that joe made a savvy move here getting dumba or is it time for dumba to just get dropped everywhere and not be added <laughs> like do you think he's still feeling the effects of the injury that kept him out for most of last season is that the reason why he's done nothing this year like how else can you explain a 25 year old going from being a 50 point defenseman to being on a 22 point pace and falling through 33 games this year I have no explanation for what's going on with Matt Dumba so what good are you Brian no I'm kidding okay. <laughs> sorry the show is now over uh, I don't I I don't think it's on him whatever's happening to Matt Dumba he's still largely looking like the same guy under the hood anyway who'd been a 50 point player for a season and a half with of course uh, he lost half a season to injury but his IPP this season has dropped 20% and his team has been a lot less effective this year compared to the last couple while Dumba is on the ice and the power play continues to be below average in Minnesota also so it's this really weird one where you're looking for things beyond Matt Dumba to change and get better but you don't know how they can or if they will which makes it so hard for me to diagnose this uh you asked a question which is is this a sluggish return from injury i don't know uh, i guess it could be i would love to know this is total speculation and that's what happens when you are scoreless for as long as matt dumba has been uh you know it's not like he's got new defensive partners or anything he's playing with largely Suter and Brodine who he spent the last two seasons with uh, moving between the two of them so Elon I have all the same questions as you about Matt Dumba and I can't find any first-hand or second-hand answers that seem plausible so in my mind I just hold and I wait <laughs> uh, that's if I own him if I don't own him you know I wouldn't think I wouldn't think against like I wouldn't absolutely not send a buy low offer I might check in with his owner, kick tires, see what happens, because you look at what his value of a replacement could be uh, and what the replacement options are. Uh, come on. Like, Matt Dumba still has some really great upside. Elon, I think, don't you own him in at least one league in the PHL? Yeah, the team that I took over from you. Yeah, what are you uh, going to do? I'll hold on. Like, I'm doing well in that league right now. So I think it's the kind of situation where if you're struggling and you need help now to, like, get into playoff contention, you don't add him and you probably drop him if you need to or try to sell him for whatever you can get. But, yeah, if you're doing well, then maybe it's worth holding on because, like you said, Brian, the upside is there. But he don't expect any help in the near future. And at some point, we're going to have to drop him. But if you're doing well and you're going to make the playoffs anyways, maybe you could afford to wait a little longer. But it's so weird, especially just with Minnesota scoring all these goals. Like, how is he not getting in on them? Like, today, they are 
they're they're winning or they're losing actually five to three. And Matt Dumba has like been on the ice for all these goals against us. He's minus three. So I don't know. Just it doesn't seem like things are going well for him. And I did see a tweet also that he had a bad start to the game. Like he gave up a puck or something like right before we started recording the show. So. I'm not too into him. Like, I'm not so excited about his upside. Reminds me kind of like a Gosses Beher. He started to slow down. You started to hear about defensive issues. I, I don't know. Maybe now I'm overly speculating. But I agree with what you said. Hold if 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 you don't need him now. I think uh, I think you are overly speculating there. I like I don't. He's not in. Is he a Gosses Beher territory? He's. Uh, but I am seeing that edit and narrative starting to appear. Like I follow Michael Russo, the uh, the Wild beat writer on Twitter. And it seems like more and more you're seeing him say, oh, bad shift for Dumba. Oh, bad mistake by Dumba. So all this stuff is so much more obvious when none of the great offensive things are happening. Maybe he's just a guy who's lost his confidence. I would be uh, I would definitely check in and kick tires, see if I could buy low on him for a reasonable price. Yeah. And I'm saying drop him. Probably, unless you're in a really good spot. <laughs> so maybe we'll just agree to disagree. Let's go to LA now, who's also playing today. Hot streak alert for Tyler Toffoli. He's had three multi-point games in a row, capped by his one goal, one assist, four shot outing versus Pittsburgh yesterday. And actually, he's playing today, and he has a goal today in the win. The game's over now. LA beat Detroit 4-2. to two. Another goal for Tyler Toffoli. So this guy is totally on fire. Somehow, he did this... Like, yesterday, he was playing with Matt Luff and... What's this guy's name? Michael Amadio? So I don't even know who that is. I could check and see on Dauber's Frozen Tools who uh, Toffoli played with today. I'm seeing Toffoli with uh, uh, Nikolai Prokorkin and Michael Amadio. So like he's, but it doesn't matter. And he's not on the top power play, but he somehow is producing now in four straight games. Uh, are you buying in on Tyler Toffoli? Is it time to add him regardless of his deployment? Like uh, LA has a boring Tuesday, Thursday, Saturday schedule next week. Uh, so you don't, he's not like the type of guy I'd like rush to add because of schedule. But when he's on a run like this, I at least got to ask you. And don't forget, he's a unrestricted free agent at the end of the year. So he could also get traded at some point and who knows what would happen there. But we don't even need to speculate about that because he's producing right now on the Kings. You at least gotta ask me when this happens, and you always do, and there was a time, once upon a time, where it was like, yeah, this could be a really great moment for Tyler Toffoli, but we're sort of past that. It's sort of like, okay, yeah, now it's when this happens for Tyler Toffoli, good for him. He does this every so often, and then he goes quiet again. He's sort of morphed into what Tanner Pearson used to be in L.A., right? Where he'd have these great starts and, st- and then these huge stops. So I would not get too into Tyler Toffoli, who is now up to a 46-point pace thanks to this recent run of six points in his last three games, plus uh, nothing yet in the Detroit game tonight. And he's playing fewer than 15 minutes a night. Like, that's bottom six time. Uh, he's not even on the top power play. So there's really not a lot to like about Tyler Toffoli. Why don't you try him if he's one of the best, you know, recent, like, last seven games or 14 games options in your league? Uh, if it's that deep, sure, try him for a game or two, see how long he can keep this up, but I wouldn't be making any great sacrifices to get him on my roster. Uh, yeah, I guess you're right. I guess he's in the JVR territory, right? Like, he's doing well, but you don't have so much faith that he'll keep it up. I think I'd rather have Toffoli than JVR right now. I don't know. It's just a hunch. It's probably both guys we're not going to be talking about too much longer. But nice to see Toffoli doing well, and I'd love to see him get an opportunity on another team and see how he could do. And I think he will get traded the deadline. LA has no reason to hold on to him. I don't see why he would re-sign with the Kings with the way he's getting treated, not even getting on the top power play or playing in the top six. Let's go to Florida. Alex Barkov hurt his leg yesterday in the 4-2 loss to Boston, but 
But don't worry, to the relief of Panthers fans and Barkov fantasy owners, he was a full participant in practice today. He seems to be fine. So very nerve wracking, I'm sure, for Barkov owners yesterday. But luckily, he's okay. But check out these practice lines today. Uh, not what I expected to see. Uh, Barkov with Vetrano and Connolly, and then Trocek with Huberdo and Asiari, and then Hoffman with Boyle and Dadanov. So just a total shakeup. Hoffman, Huberdo, Barkov, all on different lines. Uh, this was after, by the way, also weird lines yesterday. Barkov, Huberdo, and Trocek were playing together. I guess that's already been shuffled. Hoffman and Dadanov were playing with Malgin. Uh, do you think these changes are something to take seriously, or do you expect everything to get back to normal soon enough? All I know is as a Trocek owner, I'm definitely not complaining if he'll get to play with one of Barkov or like and or Huberdo moving forward. I would love that because things haven't been going so great for Trocek. I'd love for him also to get on the power play. I'll even admit, Brian, don't get mad at me. Uh, when I saw that Barkov was injured, the first thing I thought was, oh, that's going to be really good for Trocek. Uh, so I'm a bad person, but Barkov's fine and I'm happy about that. But yeah, I don't know. Like these lines, is it worth even speculating about them? Or should we just assume that everything will be fine? Like someone like Dadanov looks like he gets hurt from this if he's away from Barkov and Huberdo. But yeah, I just don't want to talk about it too much because I don't want to waste everyone's time. Maybe if, if next week they're still like this, then it's worth discussing. First, let's mention that I think it's Noel Achari to print it for the anyone writing us an email or tweet about our pronunciation. Uh, and should we be worried about these line combos? No. I don't think so. Florida's lost seven of their last 10. They've currently lost three in a row. So you have to imagine that these kinds of things could happen. But I don't think there's anything to really be done about... Well, they can't improve their offense. They're already already a top 10 team there. So maybe Quenville's unhappy with the way they play defense because they're a bottom 10 team there. I imagine things will go back to normal before long. This isn't a team in a tailspin. Yeah, maybe uh, we'll send this out to Ben and Lewis, say by like Friday's short shift show, if Florida still hasn't changed things up, maybe it'll be worth it for you guys to dig into it. Maybe a patron five, we can vote for them to talk about some of these Florida guys. Uh, By the way, Keith Yandel, currently on a 72 point pace. He's got 28 points in 32 games, 15 on the power play, over half of his points on the power play, of course. Two weeks into the season, Yandel only had two points through seven games. Imagine having bought low on him then. You would feel like such a brilliant genius right now. Like, this guy is unreal. Brian, do you think that Yandel is going to beat his career-high 62 points that he set last year? Again, right now he's on a 72-point pace. In those first 10 games that Yandel was looking awful, he was getting this super weird power play specialist treatment limited to about 15 minutes a night. Now Yandel's regularly seeing 25 minutes a night, and that's been coupled with the highest 5-on-5 scoring rates of his career, thanks to a slightly inflated on-ice shooting percentage. But still, Keith Yandel just doing fantastic. And on the power play, what's there to say about him? He's on a deadly unit and is getting in on a lot of its success. He's essentially on pace to match his 39 power play points from last year. I think we'll still see Keith Yandel land right around last year's 62-point mark. But if I had to guess over or under... I would go over. Yeah, I guess you got to get the over. If you think he's going to be similar than last year moving forward, he's already got a head start. So makes sense. Let's go to Edmonton now. Ryan Nugent Hopkins is back. He missed a couple of games with that. I think it was a hand injury. He's playing, you know, regular stuff. Second line with Neil and Gagne. Zach Cassian back with McDavid and Dreisaitl on the top line. Someone posted a poll on our patron-only Facebook group recently uh, asking who he would prefer between Ryan Nugent Hopkins and Matt Duchesne. Most people voted for R&H. 
I voted Duchesne. I think, Brian, you voted Duchesne. Uh, but maybe we could actually talk about this, because I, I wasn't sure. Like, it could really go either way. I'm always sort of, I think, underestimating Ryan Nugent Hopkins, because I look at his line mates, and I go like, ugh, I don't know. It doesn't seem like a really good situation for him. But people did comment in that poll that, like, he's just so good on the power play. How could you not want him? If you look at them right now, RNH, 18 points in 29 games is a 51-point pace. Duchesne is at 21 points in 30 games for a 57-point pace. But don't forget, Duchesne had that super hot start and has really slowed down since then. Do you remember who you voted for and uh, who, like, any changes or who would you take now between Duchesne and Ryan Nugent Hopkins moving forward? I would take Duchesne. I hope I answered Duchesne. When you wrote this question, I thought you were about to accuse me of saying Nugent Hopkins, but I, I don't know why. I would say that because Duchesne is on power play one like Nugent Hopkins, but also has actual alive, warm, breathing bodies on his wings at five on five. So uh, absolutely, Duchesne over Nugent Hopkins. Well, okay. I mean, let's not go too crazy. He's got right now Kyle Turris and Craig Smith as his line mates <laughs> compared to uh, James Neal. I don't know. I feel like it's a similar line to uh, line mates right now. I guess Duchesne has the upside of getting an Arvidsson and a Granlund back soon. Yeah, exactly. And he's had better line mates through the season, right? Nugent Hopkins, you're essentially on the top line or you're not. And it's all the same. Uh, like, Duchesne has spent plenty of time this year with Granlin, Philip Forsberg. I still think Kyle Torres is a good player. So, yeah, uh, that's why I like Duchesne more. Of course you do. Uh, also, like, you say the Wait, power Wait, so part. do you. Why? why what's... No, I don't think that you said I still think Kyle Torres is a good player. Like, you all, oh. I, that's what I was referring to. <laughs> okay. And do you still think that um, Sam Girard is, like, extremely talented offensively, like you said last week? Uh, he got a point on the power play, didn't he? Yeah, he got what in three games so far. <laughs> yeah, it wasn't, it wasn't great. I think he's a very talented skater and puck mover. Oh, sure. I'm sorry that it didn't translate to points. <laughs> I mean, I'm sure everyone in the NHL, for the most part, is going to be... I think he's an above-average skater and puck mover. For a player in the NHL. Also, you say, like, uh, the power play is like, oh, RNH is on the top power play, Duchesne is on the top power play... I think the Edmonton one is better. But anyways, uh, whatever. Doesn't matter. You, I think it's close, to be honest. I don't think it's an easy answer. Uh, let's go now to Detroit. Anthony Mantha finally returned yesterday for the win over Montreal. He didn't get his top line, top power play spot back with Dylan Larkin. It was Larkin with Fabry and Bertuzzi. And then Mantha with Zadina, uh, who's been recently called up. And Valtteri Filpula. And Mantha had no points and only one shot. Only 12 minutes and 25 seconds of ice time. But of course, Detroit did play today. So let me look in real time here and see if the Lions changed. Detroit lost 4-2 to LA today and it does look like Mantha did get an assist on a Philip Zadina goal so good for Mantha getting back on the score sheet as far as the lines go looks like they were the same Mantha, Philpula, and Zadina and still uh, oh no and Mantha, Larkin, Fabry, Bertuzzi so Mantha back on the top power play at least Brian what do you think right now about Anthony Mantha do you think he was just being eased in in his first game and do you expect him to keep up what he was doing before his injury to remind people he was at 23 points in 24 games before the game that he got hurt back on November 23rd now that he's back should Mantha owners like be nervous that he's not playing with Larkin or do we need to give this more time to see how things shake out and even if he's away from Larkin do you think he'll be just fine if you're panicking about Anthony Mantha uh, not playing with Dylan Larkin or playing only 12 minutes in his return to the lineup, you're just looking for reasons to panic. We love everything we've seen from Mantha so far this year, and I'm not about to react at all to a return to the lineup where he played less than we could ever expect, uh, unless he's still injured, which I doubt would be the case, because uh, Detroit wants to tank. Right? Why rush a player back, a key part of your team? So that's not happening. Uh, look, Anthony Mantha, first line, second line, 
he can take care of his own business. Uh, so go by low if you can, even if he's away from Larkin. It'd be crazy to give up on him now. Like, I, I would rather Mantha play with Larkin, but I think he can still make waves without him. And how, like, Elon, can you remind me what the lines were today? Wait, wait, before you say that, like, you're sort of saying, like, he'll be fine without him. Like, he was point per game before he got injured. Are you saying you think he could still do that if he's not playing with Larkin? I feel like that would be hard to achieve. I mean, I can't say point per game, but I think he's still going to be, like, per perfectly relevant i think he could still be a 60 point player for sure without larkin yeah okay well that's not not a lot worse but i (laughs) I see what you're saying yeah and hey maybe playing with philip zadina is not too shabby right zadina had that huge one goal two assist game versus winnipeg on thursday six points in nine games on the season going into today where he scored a goal which is the goal that mantha assisted on so you know continue zadina's current hot run at the very least, I'm going to say that Philip Zadina is a lot better than Andreas Athanasiu. Uh, Athanasiu getting terrible deployment right now, only at half point per game on the year, sporting a league low minus 33 going into today. Curious to know if Athanasiu, oh, another minus two for Athanasiu today. So we don't generally track that stat, but this is kind of ridiculous. The next lowest is Philpula at minus 25 going into today. Burns at minus 23, so not looking good for him. But like Athanasiu, well behind everyone else in that stat. But anyways, I don't want to talk about him. He kind of doesn't interest me at all. Philip Zadina does interest me, especially maybe it's good for him also getting Mantha, right? Like bad for Mantha to not get Larkin, but good for Zadina to get Mantha, if that math all makes sense for everybody. (laughs) And yeah, good spot for Philip Zadina. Definitely worth an ad. Don't forget, this is a guy who was highly touted in the draft a couple years ago, and it looks like he's finally starting to do something in the NHL. Yeah, so Mantha, even away from Larkin, playing with Philip Zadina, and then all he needs is Athanasiu to replace Valtteri Philpula as a center, and that's a could be a pretty respectable line. A lot of upside there. I don't know if uh, Athanasiu is that much of an upgrade over Philpula, but sure. Like, not Definitely. Not what we've seen this year. Yeah, maybe offensively. Uh, okay, so let's go to Dallas now. Brian, we just talk about Dallas so much. I just don't even want to talk about all these Dallas skaters. Let's go to the goalies. Okay, let's take a moment to praise Ben Bishop, who is now sitting with a 9.33 save percentage through 23 games. Anton Hudobin, not far behind with a 9.27 save percentage. We talk a lot about teams like Arizona and the Islanders having the best tandems in the league, but Dallas is definitely in the conversation, maybe even the front runner. How would you rank these three? Am I missing a team also? In terms of, we want to talk about which team has the best goalie tandem in the league, and I guess so not counting teams that just have one for sure starting goalie, but it seems like the best teams run a tandem you know we saw boston last year but man like dallas arizona the islanders all great maybe dallas is number one maybe they could be i mean when you're ranking the best tandems you're really ranking the best team defense right Uh, all three of the teams you mentioned uh, dallas arizona and the islanders they're in the top 10 in expected goals against per 60 at five on five granted there are seven other teams who have one or two goalies who've been awfully shaky so maybe it's not just about team defense i actually saw an interesting take in our facebook group i think it was it might have been from chris but i could be getting this wrong about how the coaching change in dallas maybe should have us worried for what it might do to Ben Bishop's numbers because Dallas had been an ace defensive team under Jim Montgomery. My take on that thought is that, look, it's the same coaching staff. No one else is being brought in. So I feel like Dallas is just going to hold doing essentially what they were doing before. I'm hoping that the Stars can only get better by fixing whatever's happening on offense rather than uh, worse with the exit of Montgomery. Yeah, you would hope so. And hey, it looks like Bishop and Hudobin, for the most part, can, you know, hold 
things up on their end, even if the defense gets a little worse. So obviously every little bit hurts, but uh, right now they've both just been so good. But what would be your take? Like, let's say you're starting a new league or taking over a team in the NHL. Forget about age. You just care about this year. Would you rather have a goalie tandem like the Dallas one, or would you rather have, say, like the Winnipeg tandem, which is mainly just Connor Hellebuck, who's been great, and then Laurent Brossois, who we don't even know how good he is. Like, if you were running a team, would you rather have a solid two goalies you could depend on, or just that one awesome starter that you could depend on, and then an okay backup? No, I'd want the two. I don't know who would choose just the workhorse. Like, you're just so much closer to being devastated by a single injury, and this way you can rest your starter, you have a couple of options if someone's not feeling well. Uh, Who wouldn't want two above-average goalies over one amazing goalie? What? I don't know. Maybe some people. I think it's an interesting question, but I guess you it say is. it's an obvious answer. What do so, you? Uh, well, what do you think? I agree with you. I could see the reason. Like, if it's like a Dominic Kashuk or a Patrick Waugh, uh, I guess Connor Hellebuck just doesn't do it for me. Yeah, well, let's see how the rest of the season goes. So far, Hellebuck looking pretty good. Not as good as uh, Ben Bishop, though, but uh, close enough that you can't really split hairs. Uh, let's go to Columbus now. My hunch of the week last week was Josh Anderson. I'm going to say, like, it got cut short. He left yesterday's game with an upper body injury, so let's just call it a push. Let's not mention the fact that he was pointless in the games that he did play. Uh, also, Sonny Milano and Ryan Murray were hurt in that game where Anderson got hurt, so really bad news for Columbus. They're going to have to be calling some people up. Uh, we could probably speculate about the lines, but not worth it, because most of these Columbus Columbus guys aren't really fantasy relevant, though Cam Atkinson going on a nice run since we called him out a couple episodes ago. I think we totally anti-jinxed him. We're the reason why Cam Atkinson has started to turn his season around. He's got four goals and one assist, 23 shots in his last six games. He played with uh, Felino and either Jenner or Wenberg in the last game. It kind of switched around a little bit. Still not on the top power play for Atkinson, but hey, doing pretty well. Maybe like a, I don't know, but I, but I was going to ask about sell high, buy low, but I'm tired of even using these terms. Most people don't even make trades. Just if people have Cam Atkinson, should they be happy and expect it to continue? Or do you think that this is just a blip and not being on the top power play means it's probably not going to last? I mean, it stinks that he's not on the top power play. It's like John Tortorella is sabotaging Cam Atkinson's season, taking away a significant amount of his five-on-five ice time and that power play role. Atkinson, it's been about 11 games since he saw regular turns on the top unit, but I think he's still a solid bet to outperform his poor pace so far, as we mentioned on the show the last time we spoke about Cam Atkinson. I feel fine about him. He hasn't been as dangerous as before. He's not getting the right deployment, but I I think even with all that considered, 55-60 points is still a reasonable estimate for what we can expect from him the rest of the way. Yeah, and who knows? Maybe he gets back on the top power play. I, I would assume point. so. Yeah. Uh, Phil is saying in the chat, by the way, back to our Mantha conversation, Phil is saying that maybe Larkin is the one who needs Mantha. You know, maybe like Mantha's fine and Larkin's the one who's hoping that he can get Mantha back soon. So that's an interesting way to think about it. Uh, Larkin's been really good for a while, but it did help him a lot to have Mantha last year. Okay, let's go to Colorado. Uh, so they're finally healthy, at least the forwards. Kale McCarr is still injured. Hopefully he'll be back soon. But so the lines most recently, McKinnon, Donskoy, Burakovsky, and then Kadri, Landeskog, Rantanen. So they've split up that awesome top line and now have two really good... I guess they just assume McKinnon is... He doesn't need superstars with him. He'll have Donskoy and Burakovsky who can more than hold their own. And... You know, you can't complain. Like, it's going really well for Colorado so far. Uh, so, but, of course, with all these guys healthy, Donskoy, Burkowski off the top power play. Uh, so that's a bit of, of a bummer for them. But so hard to imagine recommending for people to drop these guys if they're playing with McKinnon at even strength. Uh, so I don't know. Let's not really talk about these guys. We've talked about them a lot over the past few weeks. We've got Sam Girard, who I brought up before. One power play assist in three games this past week. 
pretty much as exciting as I expected him to be. Colorado plays four times next week, so if, so if Makar is still out for all four games, maybe you could get two power play assists from Sam Girard if you're lucky, so you can decide if that's worth it to you, if you want to decide to rush out to grab him if he's available. Brian, what do you think about these random other guys producing in Colorado, though? We've got Valerie Nishushkin on a four-game point streak. His center, Matt Calvert, has five points in his last five games. Colorado has a really good schedule next week. They play Monday, Wednesday, Thursday, Saturday. So do either of these guys interest you as an early week stream Valerie Nishushkin or Matt Calvert oh man I've been trying to talk myself out of the idea that Valerie Nishushkin may be worth a look but he's making it awful hard he has eight points in his last 10 games including six goals playing 15 minutes a night 27 shots over these 10 games uh, so he's converted on about 20 percent of the shots he's taken but still uh, taking into account the number of shots he's taken and if any of them are working out, this is the best stretch by far that we've seen from Valerie Nichushkin since his rookie season. So I am open to taking a chance on him, but he's also still on a crummy line and not seeming to get promoted. And somehow uh, the Avs top six looks like there's not a whole lot of ways to wiggle your way into it. So nah, even with that Monday, Wednesday start to the week for Colorado, like that could be a reason to consider Nichushkin or Calvert as a roster addition to try and add one or two games played to your week. Uh, but I'm not I'm not running for either of these guys. Sure. So it's a suggestion for a deeper league if you want to really game it. I haven't listened to Dave's stream scheme yet. You can check that out at keepingcarlson.com slash stream scheme. I wouldn't be surprised if Dave uh, recommended one of those guys to stream in. And uh, no spoilers, Brian, if you've listened. But uh, they would be good guys. But yeah, you don't want to expect too much. Let's go to Chicago now. They played today. Like we said, they beat Minnesota 5-3. to three. Jonathan Taze continues to do well after that slow start. He had six points in his last four going into today. Three assists today. Man, like, Jonathan Taves might still be... Well, probably not. Like, I was going to say he might still be a great second half by low. He's still, like, well below his point pace from last year, but seems like he's finally improving. Maybe, you know, the kind of thing you always say, like an owner that thinks they're being smart by selling high, but actually he might be good. Like, I'm really into Jonathan Taves. He seems to be clicking with Saad, and he's back on the top power play, and he was great last year, and I just I just really like him. I don't know. I think, I'm very happy for you that you traded for him recently. Me too. It was a, I, I hope he keeps this up. I think he will. That's why I traded for him, uh, over his last 22 games. That's about six weeks. He's got 19 points and it looks like they're coming in a reasonably sustainable way. So yeah, I am in for Jonathan Taves the rest of the year. I still don't see him getting up to last year's heights as we were talking about, but I think he could come reasonably close. Like he's going to come between, uh, you know, being the 60 point lock that he had been for a few seasons and the 80 point player he was last year. So let's put it over under 70. What are you going to take? Uh, who? You know, I'm going to lean the under just because he's not playing as much with Patrick Kane at even strength or playing as much at even strength, period. Uh, but it's like, he's definitely capable of going over, but I'll take the under. Okay, yeah, sorry. it's probably like around there, maybe 65 to 70. Uh, we had a tweet from at S underscore Deschens asking, would you guys trade Weber for Alex Debrinkit? And he said he has five good defensemen, Burns, Hughes, Shabbat, Latang, and Weber, and hits and blocks aren't counted, so he's wondering if he should swap Weber right now for Debrinkit. Brian, I'll tell you my answer, then you can tell me if you agree. I love Debrinkit. He's on a nice run himself, five points in his last six games going into today, and I know that Patrick Kane had a hat trick today, so I'd imagine Debrinkit got in. Oh, actually, no points for Debrinkit today. I'm surprised. Uh, so there you go. More of a reason to say that I would take Shea Weber still. He has more points uh, than Debrinkit so far, like overall on the season, 
And, like, as a defenseman, you know, like, we're talking 27 points for Weber, 24 points for Dabrinkit. Uh, and with value over replacement, I think you should be able to do better for Shea Weber, who's just been so good. Uh, I think you should be able to get Dabrinkit plus in a trade for Shea Weber. So I would say do not make that trade or ask for more. Yeah, I think my answer on Twitter was that I like I would do it and I could do it. And that's mostly just because of Shea Weber's injury history, right? You worry that he's just an injury away from disappearing for one or two or four or nine weeks. Um, but he has been a beast this year. Maybe we should have talked about him in the Montreal part, but you're abstaining from talking about these guys who are just crushing it and whose names we've barely mentioned all year to acknowledge how well they're crushing it. Shea Weber, 101 shots in 33 games. 27 points in 33 games so he's pacing for just under 70 points on the season and that's what's seeing just half the team's power play share so like he's not even getting this primo power play deployment he has just six power play points if that piece turns around for him he would be unstoppable so yeah, yeah. i think to bring would be a, like a decent return but i think you should do better this person who was tweeting us also mentioned that they had uh brent burns and chris letang and i suggest that they shop those two players first because chris letang you've also got that injury trouble and maybe you could sell really high based on the name and brent burns what well, we talked about but you're not getting much value for him these days you got to wait a couple of weeks for him to restore some of it hopefully yeah or hold five defensemen that's fine. Yeah. Like I, oh, yeah. You, you maybe don't even need to make a trade. And yeah, I definitely would be a lot more worried about Chris Letang getting injured than Shea Weber. Obviously, it's impossible to predict injuries, but uh, Letang is the one who concerns me more. Like, Weber, he's been fine since that long time away. Uh, okay, let's go to Carolina. Brian, I want to talk about my new goalie acquisition. Like I said, I dropped Brian Elliott in the PHL. I added James Reimer, and Reimer has been red hot lately. He shut out the Calgary Flames yesterday for his sixth straight quality start. Yum! Mwah! I love you, James Reimer. Uh, Petter Morazic, He's been okay, actually. So far on the year, he's sporting a 906 save percentage in 21 games, but that's nothing compared to Reimer's 924 save percentage in 13 games. Do you think we're going to be going 50-50 for the rest of the season? Maybe could Reimer even take over as 1A? Or is this just like a nice run, but still Morazic's going to continue to get like two-thirds of the game moving forward? No, Reimer's having a really good season so far this year. He's performing above his expected goals against numbers. And if you look at his 5-on-5 save percentage, he ranks 16th out of 49 goalies who've played 500 minutes or more. Then you look at Morazic, and uh, it's not such a rosy picture for Petr Morazic. He ranks 38th out of, sorry, 51 goalies who've played 500 minutes or more, and he is underperforming his expected goals uh, allowed. So, Really, the better goalie in Carolina has been James Reimer uh, by several measures, and why not give him the chance? The Hurricanes were able to get Curtis McElhaney performing well. Why not James Reimer, and why not? Why shouldn't he threaten for more starts if Petr Mrazek just really isn't up to the task night in, night out? Yeah, let's say if you have Auntie Ranta in your league and James Reimer is available, I think I'm making that swap right now because just Kemper's doing so well. And yeah, Reimer has a decent shot at taking over as a really okay goalie, at least, on a really good team is what I want to say. Yeah, like, so potentially really good spot for Reimer. So why not try it? Of course, hashtag Agab. All goalies are bad. So who knows? But right now, Reimer is looking pretty good. Let's go to the team that Carolina shut out. Uh, that was the Calgary Flames. We've talked a lot about them lately. So let's just look at yesterday's lines, which they're still kind of going through the blender. We had Goudreau with Monaghan and Mikhail Backlund. And then 
Elias Lindholm with Kachuk and Mangiapane. The power play one was the same as usual, so nothing interesting there. But Brian, if I'm an Elias Lindholm owner, I'm kind of freaking out right now. Coach Ward is keeping him away from his stud line mates from the past year that helped him have that amazing breakout season. Now Lindholm is pointless in three games. I'd be very nervous if I was Lindholm owner. Do you concur? I absolutely concur. This has not been a fun season for Elias Lindholm. And we actually mentioned on the last show this new line configuration and said this is something to watch. If it lasts, uh, bad news for Elias Lindholm. And I wasn't sure it would at the time. I'm surprised it has in a way. But oh boy. Uh, yeah, Lindholm is in a bad way anyway. He has just six points in his last 16 games. But the bright side, if you're looking for it, is that he put six shots on net in the last game against Carolina when Calgary was shut out. So there's a little ray of sunshine there and no Calgary player scored and he still was on the top power play. So there's still hope for Elias Lindholm, but that upside really plummets away from Gaudreau and Monaghan. Of course, he still gets to play with Matthew Kachuk, which is a really nice place to be, but I don't think we're looking at the the 80-point heights anymore that we could have looked at again if he was playing with a Gaudreau and Monaghan who were clicking in any kind of way. And of course, the the sub-headline here is go, uh, go get Mikhail Backlund, right? He gets to play with Gaudreau and Monaghan. Go get him. For sure, he's got four assists in his last six games. I expect that pace to continue while he's there with even a goal every now and then. So yeah, you want backland. Of course, all that said, the lines could change, right? They just lost for nothing. So definitely check out at Game Day Lines or GameDayLineTweets.com to check the latest Calgary lines before their next game. Let's go to Buffalo now. Brian, I just can't believe I dropped Olafson in the Kakuffle. It just <laughs> hasn't been my year. I've made so many bad drops this year. I got too excited at, or too disappointed at the wrong times, and it's definitely hurting me. Um, his goal on Varlamov yesterday brought him to 30 points in 34 games. Oh, boy. Oh boy. He's like right back in that Calder conversation, I think, though. Of course, Kale McCarr has been so good, and Quinn Hughes, like, it's, it's really tough competition this year. It's going to be crazy. Imagine Victor Olafson gets like 75 points as a rookie and then comes third in Calder voting. Like that might actually be how things go down this year. Then, of course, a lot of the credit must go to Jack Eichel, who has now three straight two-point games. He's now at 48 points in 34 games on the season, 116-point pace. He's unbelievable. Brian, are you happy? I'm bringing up a star player that's not like uh, that's not fantasy relevant to talk about because obviously everyone knows that Eichel's great. Oh, uh, Rasmus Dahlin is back. He's had an assist in each of his two games since returning. He's very good, of course. All the main guys on Buffalo are great, except for poor Jeff Skinner, who's got no-name even strength line mates. He can't get on the top power play. He only has one point in his last six games. Jeff Skinner has no shots in each of his last two games, and he used to be a reliable heavy shooter. That new six-year, $9 million per year contract that he signed over the summer, not looking great right now. Clearly, the coaching staff does not like Jeff Skinner. Are we in snoozer territory for Skinner in fantasy? Like, is it time for people to just let him go? Like, if he was dropped in your cupful division tomorrow, Brian, would you be rushing to add him? Or would you just let someone else go get him like I did with Matt Dumba? I'd be pretty close to rushing to add him. Like, I still feel like he has a lot to give. Uh, Unfortunately, the last two games, like what we were able to say for a little while was that Jeff Skinner, at least he's still shooting. He had uh, had a stretch where he had 19 shots over three games. And that was just at the start of December. His last four games, he has just four shots on goal combined. No shots at all in two of those games. And the most recent one against the Islanders, he played just 11 and a half minutes. So like, 
the 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 ground or what do you say is something's falling out from the bottom's falling out from under Jeff Skinner right now it's just five points in his last 15 games his shooting percentage is low um which is a little encouraging to think there's room for some regression in the right direction but I mean come on what can you do if you're Jeff Skinner you're stuck it seems like your your coaching staff and team are committed to keeping you on the second line now that all of sin is seen as a suitable top line player that's great and sure spread out your offense but Jeff Skinner uh, on the second line has no center to play with or even a winger for that matter uh, his most common line mates this year Sabatka Marcus Johansson who's okay Connor Sherry Evan Rodriguez who's also okay these are his most common line mates but none of them are really uh, guys you can go scoring with right it reminds me of the Carolina years when Skinner was stuck with guys like Victor Rask uh, Derek Ryan Philip DiGiuseppe Riley Nash Elias Lindholm uh, he, Skinner has this history of for some reason being left to his own devices team saying okay here you uh, you run a whole line and he's not capable of it or at least he hasn't shown that yet uh, in his career i don't expect him to show it now so you are definitely looking at a situation where in shallower leagues especially you might think it's time to drop jeff skinner yeah, definitely looks like a drop that I would make this year in the Kakufo and then regret it maybe two months later. <laughs> but yeah, like it's not looking good. But I thought it wasn't looking good for Olafson for like two weeks and, and we look what ha- we see what happened. But this is already like a much bigger sample size. Skinner's just not getting the deployment to get me at all interested in him. I don't know if I would add him if he was dropped because I got to win matchups now. I can't afford to wait in that league. In other leagues where I'm in first place, maybe then it's okay to grab a Jeff Skinner if you have someone you could drop for him, maybe instead of having a stream spot for a week or two. And then you, you know, reassess after that. Let's go to Boston. We've got three teams to go. So Boston, uh, nothing too interesting to say here. The top line is back together. Everyone's happy. Jake DeBrusque was actually bumped from the top power play for Danton Heinen yesterday in the win over Florida. So perhaps that was a motivator for DeBrusque because he actually put up uh, a goal and an assist at even strength in the 4-2 win over the Panthers. So that's nice for DeBrusque, but still I'm not too into him if he's now off the top power play. Nothing for Heinen, but five shots on goal. I don't know, Brian. Are you especially interested in either of these guys at this point? Heinen has been on the top power play before. I can't recall him going on a meaningful run for, like, ever. Or maybe, like, he did once, like, a few years ago. But I'm not too into Danton Heinen. I just feel like the Boston top power play, the fourth forward there, like, is almost irrelevant. They hardly ever get a point. Can you find me a more boring guy than Danton Heinen who gets these massive opportunities and great deployment? Like, he filled in for Pasternak on the top line last year, did nothing with it, gets these occasional turns on the top power play, does nothing with them. Please fire him into the sun. He's boring. He shouldn't be here. Uh, Somebody else, please. Okay, so let's go to Arizona then. Here's a player I think you'll like a little better. Clayton Keller, eight points in his last eight games. He had 12 shots on Thursday versus Chicago and then five shots versus New Jersey. I don't think I've seen a 12-shot game in a really long time. Like At the same point, Alex Ovechkin was having a zero-shot game and Clayton Keller was having a 12-shot game. Unbelievable. Definitely time to get back on the Keller train if he's been dropped in your league. He's only 50% owned in Yahoo. I feel like you've got to own him in all leagues. Like, yeah, he's playing with Stepan and Hinestroza, which you might think, oh, it's not even in the best line but whatever Clayton Keller I'm loving him right now uh not like playing with Kessel has been worth much anyway so are you with me Brian grab Keller in all leagues absolutely uh, like it's crazy to think you still can at this point and what Clayton Keller's doing at five on five is exactly what he was doing last year but he deserves 
even better. Like he's upped his shot attempt rates. He's upped his shot on goal rates. His on ice shooting percentage though is below 5%. So he's actually going to do better at five on five than he has so far. And the reason that he's still doing well at all, even with that poor five on five variance is because of the power play where he has scored 11 power play points already in 35 games. He is on track to set a career high to beat his record of 20 power play points in an 82 game season. So Clayton Keller looks like he's firing on all cylinders. I feel like we're seeing a new gear from him, which is super exciting, right? We haven't seen anything super exciting from Keller since his rookie season. So let's hope that this is the moment, this is the time for Clayton Keller to round into form and keep this going. This is the moment for Clayton Keller. No, we got to keep going. Okay, one team to go. The Anaheim Ducks. I'm very excited to ask this question to you and for you to get mad at me. Jacob Silverberg has been playing with Raquel and Henrique lately. He's riding a four-game point streak up to 23 points in 33 games on the season. Brian, do you still hate Jacob Silverberg (laughs) and think he sucks and won't beat his career-high 51 points from 2016-17? Currently, he's on a 57-point pace and climbing, but the last time I brought him up, you, like, shushed me away. You were like, stop bringing up Jacob Silverberg. He sucks. But he, he, he's playing with Raquel. He's getting points. I got to keep doing it. I'm sorry. Very brave of you to pose a question to me that way when we're at the end of a show and I'm at my most irritable. Uh, maybe that was your plan. I'm not going to bite, though. I don't hate Jacob Sulferberg. I just don't think he's anything super special as a player. Yeah, he's getting more time this year. He's getting better line mates. His on-ice shooting percentage is too high. Uh, so those are the reasons why right now he's pacing for 57 points on the season. He's still only taking two shots per game on average, though and that plays out in his game-to-game numbers, which is disappointing because we thought when Jacob Zilverberg was going to break out, it would be on the strength of all these shots he takes. Those don't come... uh, You know, he's worth owning, okay? What do you want me to say? He's worth owning. Ride out this hot streak, enjoy it. And, like, I think he'll be worth owning past this hot streak. He could be a 50-55 point player this year with upside for 60 points. Uh, I don't see him reaching that upside, but, hey, we haven't been able to say that about him forever. Yeah, okay. Fair enough. And I think it does obviously go without saying that it's Ricard Raquel who is the straw stirring the drink here. And Raquel is doing great lately, so good for him. And if he's somehow someone you could finagle in fantasy, get him in a trade or whatever, like he's the guy you want. And Silverberg is benefiting from exposure to him. And with that, Brian, we've gone through all 31 teams, given 31 plus takes. I've had a blast here with you. Thank you, everyone, for listening all the way through and also listening to us all season long. And we're just going to keep on churning out fantasy content week after week. Week. Maybe we'll take a week off at Christmas time. We'll see. But yeah, uh, we really appreciate you listening, uh, subscribing to us on whatever place that you listen, Spotify or Apple Podcasts or Google Podcasts or wherever you listen. We really appreciate that. Subscribe. If you want to give us a five-star review, we, of course, really appreciate that. We had a five-star review. Remember, we have Brian, our promotion. Anyone who gives us a five-star review with a question, we're going to answer it on the show. So actually, we're not done just yet. Paul GV said, uh, I listen to Elon and Brian every week and I come away feeling significantly better prepared for the upcoming fantasy hockey week than I would otherwise. One question for you guys. I'm in a points league and I have Pasternak. He and McDavid are currently ranked 1-2 on the season and almost exactly the same amount of points in our league's format the mcdavid owner is willing to part with connor mcdavid if he gets pasta back would you trade pasta for mcdavid everything else being equal thanks and keep up the great work so brian so according to this league's stats even though mcdavid has more points overall david pasternak is worth the same in fantasy points so maybe the question just comes down to who do you see as more likely to keep up their pace or do better moving forward between mcdavid and pasternak 
I think I'm going to go McDavid. I believe in both of them being able to keep up a lot of what they've been doing, at least to the same extent. Like, if they're going to regress, they're both open to having the same amount of regression happen. I think the way I'd answer this question is I'd look at their schedules. I'd see, okay, how many games have they played uh, if it's an all-year league? If it's a week-to-week league, see who has the most off-night games, see who has the best playoff schedule. That's how I'd decide. And if this owner has reached out to you to tell you this, maybe... Uh, they're more they're more interested in Pasternak than McDavid, and you could ask for a little more to sweeten the pot. That's probably asking uh, a lot. Uh, so maybe that part won't be true, but I would essentially look at the schedules. If they've been about the same in your league so far, I'd expect them to be about the same in your league the rest of the way. Yeah, I mean, McDavid has 57 points in 35 games wow. for a 134-point pace. So I'm not going to expect him to do any better moving forward. So definitely, uh, if Pasta has been just as good as McDavid, even with that point pace that McDavid has been on, then, yeah, you could make that trade or you could not. So I agree with Brian. Uh, go for the better schedule or go for who could get you a sweetener with. If that, yeah, so good job, Brian. Thank you for the answer. Thank you for the review, Paul GV. We also had a nice review from Dennis Damenis, <laughs> who didn't leave a question, but just gave us a nice compliment. So we appreciate it. And again, anyone who wants leave us a five-star review throw a question out there we'll try our best to answer it but okay with that brian i think we are done here so how about we cue that outro music and why don't you go ahead and read us the credits all right this episode of the keeping carlson fantasy hockey podcast was presented by dabra hockey and powered by our amazing wonderful incredible patrons logos by brandon weeb outro music by pat roach it was researched with help from dabra hockey frozen pool dabra prospects Natural Stat Trick, Evolving Hockey, Cap Friendly, Charting Hockey, HockeyGoldies.org, Hockey Reference, Hockey Biz, Hockey Database, Elite Prospects, Roto World, and Yahoo! Great job as always. Brian, looking forward to doing this all again with you. Maybe not 31 teams, 31 takes, but a regular episode of Keeping Carlson next week. And in the meantime, you'll get short shifts with Ben and Lewis on Wednesday and Friday. Check out the stream scheme. Check out Marcus's stat attack. You'll find all the links in our show notes. We've got lots of great content coming your way. Until then, keep on keeping Carl Sons.